Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Tuesday morning, May the 16th, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, co-host Josh. Uh, good morning. See, Rev can... Good morning, Rev. Hey, good morning. Rev is back in the fold this mm-hmm. morning. I uh, didn't know if he'd be back or or not. He is uh, back to that. And if you said he'd be gone Monday and Tuesday, it doesn't matter to me. We can handle it while you're taking care of um, a family business. I know you can. But, um, but Josh rose to the occasion yesterday. I good. Interrupted him three or four times because he stopped... <laughs> Started talking, it wouldn't stop, and I was like, "Hey, Josh, is this our show? Or is this really? my show? Yeah, is this our show, or is this, or is this my show?" No, he um he elaborated quite extensively and uh, and very understandable in the way he um gave his opinion on some of the uh, some of the issues of the day. Sorry, so, I so that. I've told people where you were and mm-hmm. what you were doing, mm-hmm. but I don't get into the details because some families, you know, talk a lot about whatever the issues are. Other families are more private. And um and reserved, uh, but you went down. I did tell our listeners that you went down to see your mom, mm-hmm. who's dealing with a health issue. Um, I would argue, Rev doesn't want to hear this because I'm real blunt. I would argue the biggest health issue she's dealing with is being 87. Right. right? I mean, yeah, that just you, um, it's hard to argue against that. When you've been that long yep. away from the factory, things get complicated. You begin to um have issues. Most people begin to have issues. Now, if you're one of those damn Sherpa that climb Mount Everest every year, <laughs> you, you live to be 110, 115, 110, but nobody knows how old you are. Um, he's the oldest guy to ever climb Mount Everest. How do you know that? And we don't. We're just kind of estimating because we think he's five years older. He climbed Mount Everest at 78 years old. I mean, there's a Sherpa out there that climbed Mount Everest three times at 78 years old in one climbing season. Wow, that's pretty wild. But anyway, because it's what you do? Yeah, it's when what you're you a do. Sherpa. Yeah, that's just what the Sherpa do. <laughs> right. Um, you're right. There's this big mountain that weirdos from the West like to climb, and they're willing to pay you know enormous sums of money to hope to not die up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so the Sherpa have this um, this economy built on you know normally. Let's be honest. You ready? White Westerners infatuated with climbing the tallest mountain in the world. I digress. Back to your mom. <laughs> She's 87. That's right. She had a recent diagnosis that was not very favorable. Was, I'll was, hand it off to you from there. Okay, thank you, and I appreciate it. Yeah, she, she has a terminal cancer diagnosis, uh, so uh, she's at home and doing okay now. No real symptoms from that, uh, but you know, I'm taking the opportunity to go down and, and family going down and, and visit and spending as much time as we can, and I'm going to make myself as much as I can be available to help her. Uh, through whatever the, the future holds. And if, as anybody knows, I'm sure that has been through uh, something similar, you don't know. And so I just want to be uh, the best son I can. And that's part, and, and it really, it, it, I'm so glad that Josh is here and you guys, you know, go on with the show. The show always goes on. Uh, and so, not, no one hard at all. I know, exactly. And I just wanted to say I appreciate that. So <laughs> it was, as far, as far as that goes, it was an uneventful trip. Uh, we left Friday afternoon. Which is good. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, and then drove back yesterday. And so we had an extra day uh, in, and she lives in the Orlando area on Friday. Now, I, you know, I normally have a complaint about something about my travels. You mm-hmm. know, when I travel around the holidays, mm-hmm. I've been down there several times and talk about the condition of I-95. Uh, and it is terrible. I mean, the, the, the two lanes each direction in South Carolina, the, the condition of the road, there's just too much traffic for that many lanes. So I-95 in South Carolina, anybody who knows, especially going south from our listing area, it's not a fun experience. But I had an additional not fun experience on the way down on Friday. Mm, here we go. So left town about 2. So we did the morning show, um, You know, went home, got ready, packed, left at 2, 2.30, something like that. 
and headed south. And right before we got to the Santee Lakes, uh, to Lake Marion Bridge, the traffic just came to a stop. And it stopped for three hours. Wow. Just sat there. So I've got, you know, the the six and a half hour drive in front of me and it was just at a dead stop. And I was in an area where I had no cell service. I could, I, you know, we'd move forward an inch. I'd try to get, oh, I got a text through because I was trying to find out what was going on. Anyway, they, they closed Interstate 95 going south for three hours on Friday afternoon. And what it ended up, I didn't find out till the next day because I could, once the, it was, it was weird because the traffic flowed, the interstate obviously opened and there was no sign of anything on the interstate. When, when I got ahead down the road, I never ran across an emergency vehicle or anything like that. So had no idea what had even happened until the next day when I looked it up, there was a, apparently a, a truck had lost its load on the bridge and it was a load of like marble and granite and quartz slabs. For, wow. For, yeah. And apparently it just fell off the truck on the bridge where there's no medians, no way to, so it just, they had to get, I, I'm assuming they had to get heavy equipment and dump trucks out there to get that stuff cleaned off the bridge. And I would imagine some sort of inspection. I mean, I, I don't know that to be true, but I would imagine as you clean up, I mean, if it's marble and quartz and true. it falls a certain way and, you know, I mean, I, I don't know that. I mean, I'm speculating. I had heard nothing about that. And I figured you'd, if Rev has anything to complain about, he normally lets <laughs> me know. So yeah, I'm so surprised. I'm and I set that up. So just, just <laughs> for the record, when I, when I left on, uh, on Friday, my GPS said I would get to my mom's house at 9.09 p.m. That's when I pulled out of my house. You know, it'll tell you, it'll do the mm-hmm. calculation. And I pulled in at 12.45. Wow. That sucks. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. No. But you got to spend some quality time yeah. with your mom. Ultimately, that, goal accomplished. Well, I mean, that, that extra day, that longer weekend, I mean, that, that gives you time to enjoy, mm-hmm. I guess. You know, if you go down there and you, you rush down, you rush back. I mean, you don't know if it's worth the – I mean, obviously, it's worth the effort. It's your mom. But you don't get to spend – I mean, that extra you basically day. get a day you get if you do, do it over the course of a weekend you drive down friday drive back sunday you basically get a day you're, and you're kind of in your car yeah. the majority of your uh or the time um so wayne here is very uh, nice and accommodating and supportive of, of me being gone the extra day and you guys of course handled it and i appreciate that you know it's interesting you say that because um i'm thinking about the the the, the community broadcasters family um when you're younger and and i know i say this a lot when you're younger you just assume thing because things are okay, they're always going to be okay. I didn't live, I mean, excuse me, my parents didn't live long enough for me to deal with the complexities or complications of aging parents. Um, I told you, during the, the winter of the year, there were about four consecutive Saturdays. I have no idea why Saturday, but there were about four, maybe four out of five or six Saturdays that my wife and I had a funeral. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I, mean, I would never say this because they're dear friends of mine and they're acquaintances that have meant a lot to me. And it doesn't matter if you bury uh, that person Saturday at noon or, or Monday at three or Friday at four, I'm, I'm going to be there. I mean, that, you know, I got to pay that debt of respect. And um, I just remember telling my wife, instead of the beach, we're, we're at funerals. And it dawned on me, and I've told you this, you and mm-hmm. I are at the age. I mean, we're contemporaries. I'm a little older than you are, but we're basically of the same generation, we have got to the age where dying is going to be fairly common. I mean, it just is. Um, Parents of friends of ours, um, it's not crazy unusual for a 60-year-old to pass away. So so the combination of someone my age dying, 
I mean, it's it's pretty uncommon for somebody 29 to die. It's pretty uncommon for somebody 35 to die. But it's uncommon for somebody 60, but it's not on the fringes. I mean, you know, people die in, in their 60s, and if you're 60, that means the, the parents of your best friends in life are probably 85 or 87, mm-hmm. as your mom is, and they're beginning to enter that phase of life where um, dying is a lot more likely. And I was thinking about when you said, you know, a person or two or three in the community broadcaster's family there are two or three people here dealing with situations that, you know, aren't, uh, uh, well, they are fairly dire. I mean, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, you're dealing with older people getting sicker, having these, these conditions. And it's just, um, it's unfortunate, but from here to the finish line, you and I, uh, whether it's your mom or not, will probably be around a bunch of dying. I mean, that's not real uh, optimistic, nor encouraging, nor uplifting, but, it ain't my job to be optimistic, encouraging, <laughs> or, up, or uplifting. It's my job to call it as I see it. And, you know, 87 is a pretty good shake. It's a pretty fair shake, uh, to be honest with you. 843-661-0937 um, is our number. So the news broke um, yesterday, the Durham report. We yes. wondered if Durham had gone um, <laughs> off into the abyss somewhere. It was and, kind of a surprise. I was driving, and I, I uh, heard it when I was driving back yesterday, and I was surprised. Oh, he was still doing a report? What's up three, with that? I think it's 316 pages. I did not read the entirety. The Hill.com um, had a good summation. Uh, the Wall Street Journal did not. The New York Times did not. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else. Um, the National Review did. Uh, the American Conservative did. Uh, CNBC, believe it or not, had somewhat of a, um, a legible or understandable um, recount of exactly what Durham. I mean, I've obviously done it my own way here. I've taken this article, that article, another article. I didn't read uh, all 312 pages, had some things I had to take care of late yesterday afternoon. Um, but I did read a lot of the, uh, the summaries from people that I trust. And um, at the end of the day, uh, there was Russia collusion. There was Russian disinformation. I mean, there is no doubt. I mean, there was Russian collusion and there was Russian disinformation. Trump had nothing to do with it. Nothing. I mean, that it's bizarre. I was thinking about Watergate because I believe, and I'm not trying to be provocative here. I believe this political scandal is much bigger than Watergate. Well, look where they put the country through. I mean, not just the administration, well, you, but, but the country but, but for four about years it, over crap. The primary actors in Watergate were political hacks, right? I mean, they, they, they were surrogates of a campaign. They were operatives of a campaign. Um, and, and this is kind of interesting to me. I mean, you know, maybe maybe I'm looking at this through a, a conservative lens. It's kind of interesting to me. So when, when the political operatives and hacks break into the Watergate Hotel, do their thing, the media and administrative agencies within our government hold them accountable. Who holds... Uh, I mean, the, the inmates are running the asylum. Who holds these people accountable? I mean, Woodward and Bernstein basically became rock stars bringing down an American president who had political operatives and hacks, you know, doing unsavory things. That That's the different, the primary difference. I mean, this is much bigger than Watergate because Watergate didn't involve the FBI. We counted on the FBI and CIA to bring to light some of the activities of the um, the operatives within the Nixon True. campaign. Um, who's going to shine the light on the FBI or the CIA? Uh, here's what we do know. You ready? I mean, th- these are my words. 
The FBI ignored the strong likelihood that the Steele dossier was Russian political hackery. I mean, it was political hackery. Um, so, so either they're morons or they're crooks. Because at the, at the beginning, uh, the, the most the most revealing part of the entire um, fact pattern, Danchenko, Igor Danchenko, remember him? I mean, he was the guy that proposed this information. Once the FBI realized, and, and the Durham report says this, once the FBI realized that this cat's lying to us, they try to pay him a million dollars to be quiet, to not um, divulge to the American public that they had been lying. I mean, they knew he was lying, but but once it was kind of revealed, once once the public became aware, they try to pay him hush money. I mean, they, they, there are a lot of things in here that worry me, but that worries me more than anything. That not, not only the FBI was willing to engage in political hackery and try to put their thumbs on the scale of a presidential election, and there's no. There's no denying that. I mean, stop with that nonsense. I mean, you can spend this however you choose to spend this. The crux of the story is the FBI actively involved itself in the 2016 presidential election. The FBI willingly and complicitly said, we're going to try and help this person win in favor of that other person. And we know that was Hillary Clinton. Now, now we know the Clintons paid for the dossier. Who's surprised by that? I mean, in all honesty, who who is surprised at all that Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton paid for, you know, um, a, a dossier that was going to be proposed as Trump colluding with Russia? I mean, that's the Russian disinformation. Um, so so here what here's what we know: there was Russian disinformation. I mean, there's no doubt about it. That's the one thing the media got right. I mean, there there was Russian disinformation, and it wasn't Hillary's or what Hunter's uh, laptop. <laughs> It was paid for by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democrats. I mean, there's kind of a um, uh, the funneling of money to the DNC from the Clinton um, campaign. So the Clintons and the Democrats paid for it. The FBI aided and abetted the disinformation campaign. Let me say that again. The Clintons doesn't surprise me. I mean, it really doesn't. Political hackery, politicians going politic, right? But the FBI aided and abetted the disinformation campaign, 51 former intelligence officials aided and abetted um, the disinformation campaign. Government officials worked with the media to amplify some information and block other information from the mainstream. So so that's the point. Here's the difference in Watergate and, and Russiagate, if you will. In Watergate, you had political operatives gone rogue doing some pretty dastardly things. You had the media and and, and, and and groups like the FBI in pursuit. I don't know if they were in hot pursuit, but they were in pursuit of the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. There is nobody in government, nobody in media, appears to be following where the, the truth or facts carry them. And that's alarming to me. I mean, the Clintons doing this doesn't, doesn't concern me. I mean, it really doesn't. Yeah, the Clintons are crooks. I mean, the Clintons are political prostitutes. I, I was thinking about a list of the, the most untrustworthy people in this story. Trump is the most trusted. Trump is the most honest broker in this entire ordeal. <laughs> and I'm talking about Strzok, McCabe, Comey, the Clintons, 
the Democrats, the media, the CEO of CNN, the CEO of NBC, ABC, CBS, Donald Trump. I mean, if you give me a list of 20 people and say, hey, Donald Trump is the most respected and honest person on this list of 20, I don't expect it to be intelligence officials or FBI agents. I mean, I just don't. But that's where we are. And, 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 and here's how you know it's true. The Democrats have not denied. The Clintons have not denied. The FBI has not denied. The official release from the FBI says, you know, um, yeah, we screwed some things up. But since then, we've, uh, we've made the necessary corrections to make sure this never happens again. We'll explain the Hunter Biden laptop. But the FBI is on the take. The FBI is crooked. The FBI is complicit with the Democrats and the Clinton campaign. The intelligence community is crooked. So that's the difference in this and Watergate. I mean, at Watergate, you had crooked political operatives doing things they had no business doing. But you had the media and you had government agencies in pursuit of the truth, trying to get to the bottom of exactly what happened at Watergate. No FBI agents were involved in Watergate. No members of the media were involved in Watergate. We know for a fact that in the Russian disinformation camp campaign concocted by the Clintons and the Democrats, the FBI was very much on board. The intelligence community, very much on board. The media, very much on board. And there is no way anybody with a straight face and half a brain can say this is not a bigger deal than Watergate ever was. I don't know how many people went to jail for Watergate. I don't know how many people were arrested for Watergate. I think it's in excess of 100. I think at the end, at the end of the day, um, the political hackery cost about 100 operatives um, their, their, their liberty. Now, it was different degrees and varying degrees of sentencing, but, but it's, 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 it's bizarre. I mean, it, it is the biggest political scandal in my lifetime. I mean, it far exceeds Watergate, and I guess Watergate is the measuring stick. That's why it's Iran gate or Russia gate or or Afghanistan gate or you know where I'm headed. I mean, it's always the, the gate at the end. Uh, the president. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it denotes the significance or severity of the of the issue. Nothing that I've ever seen come down the political pike in my lifetime is close to this. I mean, Iran Contra, not close. Why? Because everybody's not in on it. I mean, everybody but the Trump campaign were in on this. And if you're a Clinton voter. Or, uh, or uh, I mean, the, 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 you know, I put something on Twitter yesterday. The biggest cult in America today are the Never Trumpers. I mean, I guess you call people what you kind of subconsciously are. You know, we we're talking about philanderers. I read something philanderers believe everybody cheats on their wife. Um, you know, people that drive 100 miles an hour assume everybody drives 100 miles an hour. I guess if you're a Never Trumper, you, you kind of, you, you fight fire with fire. You believe the Trumpers will do it to you, so you better do it to them. But there's no, I mean, and the most interesting part of this is the silence from the Democrats today, the silence from the Clintons today. Nobody's denying anything. I mean, the Durham report is scathing. It is very specific and detailed. It's over 300 pages in length, and nobody from the FBI denies it. Nobody from the CIA denies it. Nobody from the Democrat Party denies it, and nobody from the Clinton camp denies it. And that's a scary proposition in America today when that many forces align to put their thumb on the scale of a presidential election. Wow. Wow. And the Democrats aren't concerned at all. I mean, they really and truly aren't. I mean, they're quiet, but they're not alarmed. They're not concerned. They believe it was necessary. 
I mean, you know, I, I'm thinking about some Democrat voters out there, some Democrat office holders, anything to stop Trump. How is that not a cult? I mean, if you're never Trumper, you are, by definition, a cultist. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in just a few. Reads verbatim, the Department of Justice and the FBI did not have any factual evidence of collusion between Russian officials and Donald Trump's 2016 presidential campaign and began their crossfire hurricane probe of Trump's campaign based on raw, unanalyzed, and uncorroborated intelligence. And then he went on, I mean, it scolded the federal law enforcement counterintelligence officials uh, for failing, and here's his words, uphold their important mission of strict fidelity to the law. Um, it's, you know, I mean, the criminally fabricated language in emails. But, but once again, guys, in Watergate, you had political operatives gone rogue. And there was the media there. there. There were the government agencies there to hold them accountable. Who holds them accountable today? I mean, the media is They're in on the, it. The media is a part of the cult. I mean, the FBI is part of a cult. The CIA is part of a cult. The never-Trumpers are a cult. It's far more cultish than those who find President Trump acceptable as a president. If you are, and, and a lot don't declare themselves never-Trumpers. Let me tell you how you know if you're a never-Trumper. If you don't condemn the FBI, you're a never-Trumper. If you don't condemn the CIA, you're a never-Trumper. If you don't condemn the, the Democrats of the Hillary Clinton campaign, you're, you're a never-Trumper. You are a part of a cult. If you don't find this reprehensible, as Rev during the break, when does the FBI lose the moral authority to be our chief law enforcement agency operating under the DOJ? When, when does, are, are we headed to a place where the FBI says to Dave Baker, we need to meet you at 3 o'clock this afternoon, and Dave Baker says, I'm not meeting with you at 3 o'clock. You're a bunch of crooks. I mean, why would I sit down with a bunch of crooks? You guys tried to change the outcome of a presidential election. Yeah, I'm not sitting down with you dishonest brokers. Not today, not tomorrow, not the next day. But like Rev said, they still have the power. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess they still have guns and handcuffs. But at what point in time have they lost the moral authority to be the chief executive law enforcement officials in um in our nation? Because that's where we're headed. I mean, that's exactly where we're headed. And and those who fall in that camp are far less cultish than those who fall in the other. Let's go to the phone. Bobby in Hartsville. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Can you hear me okay? Sure. Okay. Hey, I wanted to go back to the beginning of the show, but uh, and, and make a comment. But I want to, uh, I want to say, I want to ask you the question because you, you, you know, Sean Hannity. Listen to him all the time for years. He's been saying they're going to pay, they're going to pay, they're going to pay. Nobody's paid. So let me ask you, who's going to pay for this? Bobby, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've tried to create contrast between this and Watergate. This is much more egregious than Watergate because it involves the government agencies. I mean, when the, when the political activists went rogue at Watergate, the government agencies were who held them accountable. The media did the deep dive journalism it took to get to the bottom, Woodward and Bernstein, and we found out that Nixon had lied, and Nixon was a crook, and he was behind all of that. I have no idea who holds these people accountable. I mean, it's the government holding the government accountable. It's the media holding the media accountable. The media doesn't have an obligation constitutionally to do anything. I mean, the media can be opinionated and an objective. The government can't. So, so I can't answer that question. I mean, I don't know who holds FBI agents who lie accountable. I don't know who we hold or who holds the 51 intelligence officials. Who holds James Comey 
responsible. I mean, it, it's obvious now Comey's far more corrupt than Trump ever thought about being. Comey wrote a book about honesty and leadership and loyalty, and the American people bought it to some degree. So I don't have an answer to your question about when will they pay and who will hold them accountable. Well, just like you said earlier, they're, they're, they're not concerned, and I, and I still believe it. They're not wringing their hands, they're not concerned about putting the country through, through all that they have. But I wanted to go back, if I could, uh, uh, Dave, sorry to hear about your mom going through what she's going through. Mine's, uh, my mother's 82. Still is, seems to be in pretty good health so far, but you never know what might happen. But uh, you were talking about the roads, and uh, I took a trip to, to Dallas uh, a couple weeks ago, drove the whole way down 20. And um, I'm not sure, I, I don't travel 95, so... Uh, if y'all travel 20, I'm not sure how 20 uh, compares to 95 as far as condition. But I do know this. It, I drove 20 almost the entire stretch of I-20. And I can tell you, Georgia and Texas are on top of it. They got the best I-20 stretch there is. And Mississippi and South Carolina is on the bottom. Just wanted to give you that report. Thank you, Bobby. Appreciate that. Rev, yesterday, I don't want to jump around. Well, let's go to Breeze. I think Breeze is on the phone. Yep. And then we'll, uh, we'll take a break and come back, and we'll jump around a bit as the show progresses. And, and thank you, Bobby. Thanks for the kind words. And I would concur, Georgia's much better taking care of their roads, and I guess we'll go there in a minute. But, Breeze, you're on. Kid, you know, kid, uh, guys, it makes you wonder, was the FBI or were the FBI and CIA ever good brokers? I mean, you got Robert Kennedy Jr. basically accusing and claiming there's plenty of evidence to say the CIA murdered our president. And listen, if, again, I've been saying this forever. The FBI wasn't incompetent. Well, I guess they were incompetent enough to get caught, if you want to know the truth. But they were they were definitely colluding with the Democrat fascists and all the globalists. And this thing is, yeah, they're a cult, but it's also a coup. They're trying to destroy this country. All you got to do is just watch some old movies. Now, they wanted to make it out to be like it, these were right-wingers. But you look at any Jack Ryan movie, any movie of these South American dictators, any of those movies, how it goes. You know, the police come in, they they try to stop the you – know, this is a bad movie. America right now is in the middle of a bad movie. But if the CIA is willing to kill a president, if the FBI is willing to help, to help throw an election, well, doesn't that just add more daggone substance to the fact that daggone um, the election was stolen? I mean, to me, how far of a leap is it to go from the FBI colluding with the Democrats and the media and all the uh, social media? How far is it to go that the whole damn election was a fraud? It's not that big of a leap, is it, brother? It's getting less and less a leap as um as we find out these um. These revelations, thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. And and the 316 or 12, whatever it is, over 300 pages. I mean, if you tried to read that and analyze, I mean, it, you know, you'd bore people to death. I mean, it, it's more of a, um, I mean, I guess in a in a civics class or a history class, we, we could go into great specificity. We could break it down, you know, this part, this day, that part, another day. I reiterate my big concern, and it kind of goes to Bobby and Breeze's comments. My big concern is this. Watergate historically has been the comparison of that, you know, is, does it rise to the heights of Watergate and then hence the gate at the end of all of these political scandals that come along. Um, to me, this far exceeds what, what happened in Watergate because I, I read it last night to make sure I was correct. 
Watergate was basically political operatives and actors acting on behalf of an American president to go, I mean, it's basically opposition research, breaking into, into hotel rooms and breaking into, you know, confiscating documents and, and then lying about it. I mean, this is, that's what happened at Watergate. Um, the FBI was not involved in Watergate. I mean, other than investigating it, the CIA was not involved in Watergate. I mean, I don't know if the CIA investigated Watergate or not. I mean, the media is who brought the president down. I mean, journalism at its truest sense or in its truest sense was really what shined the brightest light on Nixon and forced his resignation. I mean, most people believe that Woodward and Bernstein had more to do with Nixon resigning than the FBI did. But, but now you've got something that I believe far exceeds Watergate. You look to the FBI, oh, you guys were part of it. I mean, we can't trust you to investigate because you guys were a part of it. I mean, you're the chief law enforcement you know, agency in America, but you were a part of this. I mean, it's, it's, it's documented, historically accurate to say the FBI was complicit in putting its thumb on the scale of a president. Guys, think of that for a second. I mean, how do you believe Trump is a threat to democracy when that's the case? How, how do, is, there, is there anything Trump? I mean, January 6th was a riot, excuse me, a protest gone bad for three hours. Russia collusion was three years. I mean, how do you compare January 6th with what the Durham report reveals? There's no comparison. One is actually a threat to democracy. One is legitimately trying to change the outcome of an election. And it wasn't cowboys, hillbillies, and hayseeds at the Capitol on a given day for three hours, stealing a lectern and busting out some windows. I mean, this was an organized effort by the chief law enforcement agency, the chief intelligence agency, 90% of the mainstream media, and the Democrat nominee for president. And you're worried about January 6th? Stop with the dumbassery. I mean, wake up and look clearly at where the threat to democracy lies. It's not orange man bad. It's not protest gone bad. It is the most organized effort in the history of our nation that we are now aware of, of changing or affecting or impacting the outcome of the election. And we can't trust the FBI to investigate because they were a part of it. We can't trust the CIA to provide intelligence because they were in on it. And you're worried about January 6th? And you're worried about Trump becoming president again? You are a member of a cult. Admit it. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Hey, Joe. Yeah, good morning, guys. The the thing about this, which is similar to Nixon, I mean, if you remember, you know, they, they had to get rid of Agnew first. So they they got him on some kind of money he took back when he was governor in '67, and then they they forced him out of office and put Gerald Ford in there, which was more acceptable to him. And then all this stuff happened with Watergate. That, that's kind of coincidental, but with the '16 election, if you remember, you know, right before. The primaries, it it all came out in WikiLeaks that Hillary and the DNC had screwed over Bernie Sanders. 
and all those emails came out and so they had to cover that up in fact i I believe somebody ended up getting killed over that but you know that that kind of went by the wayside and that's all a conspiracy theory but they they started this whole thing with trump and russia and they you know when when Hillary lost to that, they couldn't let it go. John Podesta and his brother cooked up this whole thing, and they've been running with it ever since, and they say the FBI has been reformed, but they haven't been because you got the 51 that signed the, the document saying Hunter Biden's laptop. So it, it's, it hasn't been reformed, and in my opinion, it can't be reformed. They'll have to go in and take out about seven layers of the FBI, just like everything else. The the main thing is the American people are going to have to hold fast. And I hope the uh, Republicans, you know, they keep trying to blame the Republicans on this debt ceiling. They passed the bill. They've they've raised the debt ceiling. They passed the budget. And uh, Schumer... Is telling everybody to go out and scare the American people to death. They're telling people on Social Security, you're not going to get your check if we, you know, don't raise the debt ceiling. That's ignorant. But I guess the American people get what they deserve or what they want. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. We've had a lot of calls in the first hour. Obviously, uh, the majority of our listeners are conservative. Uh, The majority of our listeners would be, shall I say, more sympathetic to Trump and America first than America as a whole or on average. Um, Fox News Radio's Ryan Schmelz is in our nation's capital. Uh, Ryan, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good, Lieutenant Governor. How are you doing? I am doing well. I've not tried to, I mean, I've not read the entire 300 plus pages of the Durham account, but I did read summaries. I've I've, I've read some media accounts of what's in there. Um, What is, I I guess, what is your takeaway, Ryan, as a reporter in our nation's capital about what John Durham did report um, yesterday? Right. So the big takeaway is that, you know, the, the DOJ, and the FBI simply did not have the evidence to launch their investigation. And it's been pretty critical of the FBI's process throughout the, the entire investigation into former President Trump and if, and if he had ties with Russia. And I think one of the things that, that's a big takeaway for me is what's the ripple effect going to be in Congress? Because we're at the, the time of year now where we're starting to discuss and debate budgets. And a lot of the leaders of these industries are going to be or I should say agencies are going to be going before a lot of these hearings and trying to pitch their budget before members of Congress. And certainly you have Jim Jordan coming out, who chairs the Judiciary Committee, a Republican, uh, saying that, you know, they should look into leveraging uh, the FBI's budget in order to get systemic changes within the agency. And that's something that was already being talked about before this report came out. So this is only going to up those calls now. Ryan, does it, I mean, does it add fuel to the fire of the percentage of Americans who find the FBI to be untrustworthy? I mean, that's more of an opinion than a journalistic answer or question. But, but I mean, I'm out here in flyover country. I mean, I, I'm out here with the the real people of real America. 
and and I've noticed over the last six or seven years a growing distrust of government agencies, the FBI included. Does the FBI have a plan to restore credibility and trust? Well, the FBI did come out with a statement yesterday saying that, you know, they examined a lot of the conduct that had been going on in this report and have made some significant changes. Now, Christopher Ray in this statement did say that if, if the changes that the FBI has made had been in place since 2016, the missteps that were identified in the report would have never have happened. Now, whether or not that's going to sell the American public on if the FBI is still trustworthy or not, I think that kind of remains to be seen. You know, there's certainly, you know, the FBI is different depending on a lot of field offices you go to, but a lot of this focus is obviously on the main FBI office here in D.C. And, uh, you know, the Certainly on the right, there's going to be a lot of mistrust within this agency moving forward. And whether or not they can restore that credibility, uh, it, it might take a significant amount of work at this point. Ron, I've got to ask you this. You're in journalism. Everybody <laughs> implicated in this is now in journalism. I mean, he Strzok's on CNN. McCabe's on CNN. Comey wrote a book, and now he's uh, – I mean, sh- surely it taints the, the industry of journalism when, when these people cross over from the bowels of government into – um, giving, uh, I guess, what the public would perceive as somewhat informed and educated opinions. Right, and I try to tell everybody, you know, you got to really separate a journalist from an analyst, which is in or a commentator, which is in many ways what a lot of these folks have become. You know, you had Peter Strzok actually on Joy Reid's show that I was watching before I came on here, where pretty much he was trying to discredit a lot of what was in the Durham report because, you know, Strzok's been one of those uh, people in this case who's been uh, identified as somebody who had political bias against former President Trump. You know, I believe his text messages were unveiled uh, at a, a, a couple of hearings back in the day when this was still going on. Uh, but he, you know, has pointed to some of the, the prosecutions that came from this report uh, where you had three people uh, go to trial, only one person really uh, get convicted. The other two had their charges dropped. So certainly, I mean, you're, you're seeing some people on the left come out and try to try to discredit this report here. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate your time. Have a great day. Hey, you too. Thank you. And, and I'm going to be careful and respectful, but I think our listeners understand that Ryan's not an analyst. He's not an opinion monster. He's a, a journalist and he has to, I mean, he has to walk the line. He has an employer named Fox News and I don't want to put his, uh, his reputation nor his livelihood in jeopardy. Not that Ryan would allow me to put his reputation or our livelihood in jeopardy. But, I mean, we, we talked about Strzok and McCabe a second ago. I mean, the probe, the report, I mean, it exposes them as who they are. I mean, they, they were never Trump activists within the federal government. I mean, that, that's not hard to, to discern. I mean, that's not hard to comprehend. Fox News has a good article. Uh, what's the guy that does a lot of writing for Fox News? Uh, he's one of their legal analysts. Uh, what's his name, Rev? Yeah, you do. You know everybody at Fox News. Oh, I'm sorry. He's not a female <laughs> that goes to the gym five days. Uh, Greg Jarrett. Greg Jarrett's okay. one of the, um, the, uh, the, 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 the legal analysts at Fox News, and he has a lot to say about this dual system of justice in our country, um, the FBI. But it's, it's irrefutable proof that the FBI – and the DOJ were complicit in, you know, uh, taking uncredible information and giving it credible. I mean, at the crux of the matter, the beginning of this, the, the context is there was never any evidence to launch an investigation. I mean, that, that, I mean if, you, if you go, in the beginning there was, um, there was this report, but it couldn't be substantiated. 
It couldn't be corroborated. It couldn't be, um, you know, consistently identified as accurate. But the FBI launched an investigation anyway. What the Durham report didn't say is what I'll say. You ready? The FBI knew it was opposition research. But they never had a doubt in their mind that the Clintons were not behind this and the Democrats were not behind this. But they launched a full-fledged investigation into Donald Trump anyway. So, I mean, you know, Durham's going a long way down the road of impugning the integrity of DOJ and the FBI and the CIA for that matter, but he's not going all the way. (coughs) I'll go all the way. The FBI knew it was opposition research from the get-go. The CIA knew it was opposition research from the get-go. Everybody who touched that document fondled that document. Um, Everybody that that caressed that document knew it was BS. I mean, they knew it was total and complete BS. I, I think about this. When Donald Trump was inaugurated and President Obama and Trump were together, did Obama know? Of course he knew. Without a doubt, he knew. I mean, he's a corrupt politician. But, but Rev, I want to say this. I'm not as bothered by the Clintons or Obama. I mean, I'm re- politicians going to politic. I mean, that's the nature of the business. I mean, it's, it's a very abstract, squishy, dirty trick. I mean, this, as, as the politics go, you ready? Here's what I'll say about the politics of it. It's one of the most successful, dirty tricks in the history of American politics. It might be the most successful We'll get with Bolt here at the 8 o'clock hour because I want to compare this to something in the old days. I mean, in the old days, we had duels and, you know, the um, the parties were in charge of the of the newspaper. That's not what I find. I mean, I do find that concerning. I mean, I do find that alarming. I've never bought the articulate black guy with a nice suit. I mean, Barack Obama's a corrupt politician from the machines of Chicago. Black, white, green, yellow. That doesn't matter to me. I mean, you know, I, I love the fact that people perceive him to be above the fray because he's a, uh, you know, what what did Biden say? He's clean. He's articulate. I mean, it's, it's fantasy land, man. I mean, that's not my words. That's the, the current president said about that. his, um, you know, his former boss and uh, Democrat nominee to be president. I mean, I don't look at Obama that way. I don't look at him as clean and articulate and black and well-dressed. I mean, that's what Democrats have historically been the racist, so I'll let them, you know, kind of impugn that or, or argue that point. Here's what I'm saying. Obama is a street politician from Chicago who learned um, kind of the rules of, of radicals by Saul Alinsky. I mean, that's kind of his playbook. So to, so to believe he's above the fray, I mean, once again, that goes to the coldest mindset. I mean, if you hate Trump, you're part of that cult, you believe anything Obama says, but that's Obama's a politician. I mean, you're right. I mean, Nixon was a politician. Politicians can cross the line, but it's a lot blurrier line. Yes, Obama knew. Obama absolutely was organizing and orchestrating some of this. But but the Clintons and Obamas are politicians. It's their livelihood. Okay, My- l- let me ask you this then. So we have the operatives, and a lot of these operatives, I mean, they're protecting their gig. Trump, sure. Trump, what they consider was a threat to their gig. And I mean, at Th- least- they're very lucrative gig. Right. No, it, without it's, question. It's wrong. It's unethical. But you understand they're protecting themselves, always looking out for Self-preservation number one. Self-preservation 101. Okay, so, so bring that down to the rank and file people that are in these agencies that are in the the local offices and stuff and even bring it down to just local people that are politically interested that are still towing the line i mean we haven't heard from people this morning that listen to the show that call and 
have been, you know, Trump-Russia collusion for three or four years that have said this and give, make, made their opinion known on the show. They haven't called back this morning to say, I- I'm sorry, I was wrong. But when Trump said drain the swamp and it resonated, and he basically said, I know there's a swamp because I've been a part of it. I mean, I understand how the game is played. That was a direct shot at Peter Strzok, at Jim Comey, at Andy McCabe. You don't know who they are, but Trump did. I mean, Trump was well aware of this organized world where people feed at the trough of government. They get um, they get raises. They get benefits. They get, um, remember the NIH, during COVID, we found out how many researchers were getting paid on the side by pharmaceutical companies. I mean, that's the gig you're talking about. That That's the self-preservation of the insider-isms or the insiders practicing insider-ism. I mean, that's... But but I want to go back to to to, to my point. I mean, it kind of it, it overlaps your point. Barack Obama has every right to be political. He has every right to help Democrats win. He's a politician. Hillary Clinton has every right to do exactly what she decides to do in regards to winning. I mean, I say it, and I'll say it. Politicians gonna politic. Republican politicians going politic, Democrat politicians going politic, but somebody at the FBI on day one had to say, this is BS. I mean, we can't corroborate this. We can't substantiate this. Well, we can't allow this to be a part of an investigation, or, or, or better yet, the reason we launch an investigation. So they took a dossier paid for by the Clintons, and initiated a full-fledged investigation into a Republican nominee for president on something they could not corroborate. That's the concern. I mean, that's the people that should be, you know, uh, legally punished. I'm talking about going to jail. I mean, Strzok, McCabe, Comey, they're different than Obama. I mean, nobody elected Comey. Nobody elected McCabe. Nobody elected Strzok. No, nobody elected these underlings, uh, the Klein Smiths of the world. Nobody elected those people to decide who the president's going to be. I mean, Clinton's trying to win the presidency. Trump's trying to win the presidency. Clinton offers up this dossier because she suspects she may lose to Trump. I mean, Clinton's always had this paranoia about Trump. Uh, this this crazy guy could win, man. I mean, there are a lot of those out there. You know, those those rednecks in Ohio. You know those hillbillies in I think in de- Pennsylvania. Deplorables is her sure, word. Sure, I mean, the, the deplorables. I mean the basket of deplorables. Clinton knew, and and, and I mean I'm not, I'm not saying she's politically intuitive enough to know that, but Bill damn sure is. I mean Bubba's plenty smart, and, and you got to believe that Bubba went to Hillary and said, Hillary, I'm telling you now, I mean that, that there are a lot of hayseeds in Ohio that'll vote for Trump. That there are a lot of hillbillies in in Pennsylvania that are going to vote for this guy, and and we better not take it lightly. I, I don't care what the polls say. I mean, Bill was always concerned. I'm convinced of that. I mean, Bill Clinton is a, a very astute politician, and Bill Clinton's from Arkansas. I mean, Bill Clinton didn't cut his teeth in Chicago. Bill Clinton cut his teeth convincing Bubba that he wasn't a liberal. Clinton's well aware of Trump World 101. I mean, very versed in how Trump related to people in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, you know, Arizona, Nevada, some of the swing. Well, I mean, the Rust Belt in particular. I mean, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Western Pennsylvania, to be particular. I mean, I don't think Hillary, I think she's a little bit oblivious because I don't think Hillary's real smart. Obama's very smart, but Clinton's even smarter. And I'm talking about Bill Clinton. I mean, if you had kind of a um, a listing of pr- probably IQs, you'd have Hillary at the bottom. 
You'd have, you know, Obama above her, but at the top of that food chain would be Bill Clinton. And the one advantage Clinton had was not only being real, real bright and very politically astute, but he had cut his teeth in Arkansas, convincing Bubba, you know, that he's a centrist. So, so I, I believe Bill always knew this is going to be real close. I don't care what the polls say, and then we got to do something. So they did what politicians do. They lied. They misled. They fabricated. They created out of thin air. But somebody at the FBI had to say, this is BS. We can't launch an investigation into a presidential campaign based on opposition research. We can't do that. I mean, we, we throw away every shred of legitimacy we've ever had. But instead of that, they did it anyway. And, and we're worried about January 6th being a threat to democracy when we now have revelations and a report that nobody in the FBI is denying. Nobody in the CIA is denying. I mean, the FBI basically said, yeah, we had those problems, but we think we've corrected those problems since then. I don't think they've done anything to correct those problems. I don't think, I think the CIA is just as corrupt today as it was when Brennan ran it. I think they'll do everything they can to stop Trump again. I think the media is very complicit in this. And, and, and well, you, just and look you, at the Hunter Biden laptop, well, I mean, for an example. Yeah, we're still at it. Well, I mean, we're still at it. I mean, you know, the, uh, the Hunter Biden laptop is Russian disinformation. We've got FBI representatives and CIA representatives going to news media organizations arguing, let this, mess, let this story be amplified and make sure this story doesn't see the light of day. That's the problem here, guys. In Watergate, we had government agencies that, that were still to some degree trusted to go investigate the, the Republican operatives working on behalf of President Nixon. We had a media that was interested in the truth. Now, now maybe they were advantaged by knowing Nixon was a Republican. I mean, I don't know how aggressively they would have pursued somebody like-minded. I mean, Nixon would have been in that day. I mean, he was a pretty pragmatic centrist Republican, but he wasn't a liberal Democrat. So I don't have any idea what Woodward and Bernstein would have done had it been LBJ or had it been JFK. I don't, I mean, we'll never know the answer to that. But but to your point about the, 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 the people practicing self-preservation in the political orbit, Clinton's trying to win the campaign. I understand Clinton doing what she did. But, but I have no sympathy at all or no understanding at all and am deeply alarmed by the fact the FBI and the CIA, they knew it was BS. And they created an investigation anyway, not into who's going to win the dog catcher in the town of Pamplico, who's going to be the next president of the United States of America, who's going to hire the next CIA director, who's going to hire the next FBI director. I mean, that, that's what was at stake, and, and that's where we are. And there's still people out there who believe that January 6th was a threat to democracy. January 6th was three hours of busting out windows and stealing lecterns. The real threat to democracy lasted three years and had the full blessing of the most powerful government agencies the world has ever known. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. I'm getting a little too excited here behind this microphone. I'm sweating under my armpits. That's a little more information that you'd want to know. But that on the rare on Thanks the rare sharing. day that I sweat under my armpits, that means I'm enthusiastically excited and exaggerated about being behind uh, the microphone today. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Larry in the PD. Good morning. Good morning. I'm going to say what nobody else wants to say, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. 
you said, what about the rank-and-file FBI agents? Well, let's say that instead of the FBI, we had a big bank. And a lot of times, every now and then, we'd hear on TV or on radio that they just stole one of their people's money. They wrote them a loan, and then they called the loan due and took their house, right? And we'd say, well, that's the policy of the big guys up there at the corporate office in Charlotte. But that's not the rank-and-file loan officers down here at the bottom. But see, those evil people up there in Charlotte use those rank-and-file loan officers to give a sense of credibility to their crooked organization that's stealing people's houses. And by working for them, you enable them to use your reputation to do their evil. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you, what about the rank-and-file FBI people? If they've read what we've read, and they know what we know, and they still work there today, they're part of the problem, period. I don't give a dang whose mama and whose daddy and whose cousin and whose uncle I'm talking about. If you're still there using your good name and your good reputation to further their interests in Washington, D.C., you're as crooked as they are. Take that to the bank. Thank you, Larry. You appreciate that. That's a very aggressive line to take, but a very interesting analogy. When does personal accountability, when does personal resolve, when does personal integrity, when do I say, yeah, I got 20 years in, but but I, I can't be a part of this. I mean, you know, that's personal resolve, I guess, to some degree to walk away from um, however lucrative a career the rank and file FBI agent has. But, but if you read this report, I mean, I, I'll, I'll back up from where Larry is. If you read this report and you work for the FBI, you can't feel real good about your place of employment. I mean, you just can't. I mean, I mean, I guess you can. Uh, what am I trying to say, Rev? Here, you can. Um, you can situate it. I mean, we all do that to some degree. Mm -hmm. You, you can kind of. Um, you can dance around the edges, and you can. I uh, look around the bend and on the periphery. Well, it's not me. I mean, it is those high-ranking bureaucrats in in Washington. But I got 21 years in, and I make an X number of dollars a year. And if I get seven more years, I get another, you know, X number of dollars a year and a retirement and a pension and all these other sorts of things. But there is no doubt about it. I mean, Larry's exactly right. I mean, if you are an FBI agent and you read this report, you are working for a corrupt enterprise. Now, it's up to you to choose what it's worth to work, continuing working for a corrupt enterprise. But there is no way. There is no way to come to any other conclusion than the FBI is corrupt at its core. Now, I'm not arguing, and I don't think Larry is, that every rank-and-file agent in the FBI is corrupt to the core. But the organization you work for is, hence you're uh, guilty by association. Let's go to the phone. Sam in Cross Hill, good morning. Hey, good morning. Dave, uh, if you'll allow me a, a personal comment towards you, uh, I've been on that journey with you. My mother uh, received a terminal diagnosis uh, on her 94th birthday, and she made it for three months before she passed away in a hospice there in Florence. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's a bumpy road, but I'm going to tell you, there's real blessings in this because now you have time to spend with your mom and say all the things you want to say and all the thank yous you want to give and, and all in your family does too. So I'm, I'm with you there. I'm thinking about you and uh, uh, praying for your family. Really appreciate um, that. Thanks, Sam. Yes. Yes. And um, Ken, you are, you are right over the target right now today. Just go ahead and drop the, drop more bombs throughout the rest of this show. Um, 
you know, we got people in jail for trespassing on January 6th. It seems to me that uh, nobody's really going to be held accountable uh, for this, this cast of characters. They've gone on to uh, leave the government and found very lucrative careers uh, continuing to spin. Um, but, you know, Strzok said that there was an insurance policy, and this was the insurance policy. And you say, you know, that this, we, this, this lasted three years. I, I, I take exception to that. This is ongoing. This has lasted for seven and a half years. And President Trump's uh, tenure in office was constantly under attack from these folks. And, you know, I'm, I'm so amazed at the policies, good policies that he got in place, having to fight the system. And, you know, the fake news term that he generated but brought a lot of angst amongst the Democrats in the media uh, was right on the target. I mean, if they had, if, if everybody had been doing what they were supposed to do and uh, upholding their obligations, he would have never had to get into his fighter mode. And and so this 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 carries on to to this day. And um, and, and one of your earlier callers says, "Who's going to pay? Who's going to pay for this? We, the American people, are paying for it. We paid for it over these last uh, years, uh, having to." Uh, deal with this, and we're going to continue to pay for it. And I don't understand why these folks uh, that we're finding out about in their own right were committing acts of acts of sedition. And so I'm going to end with this, uh, kind of change the subject. Ken, I want to know if your bride made it to the Darlington race. I know, I don't think you made it uh, from what I've heard you kind of saying, but I hope your children took her on Mother's Day. <laughs> Y'all have a good day. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate that. Yeah, as hard as I tried, she um she just uh you know she she wouldn't give in uh you know uh or I wouldn't give in. Let me say no. We we went down to the beach and uh, I watched the race and she did her thing on Mother's Day. All three of my kids were there, um happy and in good spirits and um kind of kind of a weird I say weird family. It's a um I mean when I ran for lieutenant governor two in college one of the second grade all with the same woman we had a big surprise late in life that that um I mean it's been a blessing in our life but um all three of our kids were down to the beach with us um they they knew that um it's kind of interesting the sunday conversation turned to um we better eat at this time because daddy will want to watch the race whether it's um whether it's mother's day or not (laughs) i did yeah I, I, i did joke around with my wife about about the race she said thank you but um but no thank you uh so we went we went spent some time uh down to the beach being over the target um, yeah, I mean, there, there are days I know that I'm over the target. I just, I, 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 to be honest, talking about, I prayed for the wisdom today to articulate my point of view in a very aggressive and understandable fashion. It's another element of America in decline. And I was thinking about, you know, what can we do? What, what is the call to action here? And I, I don't know. I mean, I can't, I can't single-handedly. And I'm going to go back to what Rev and I were talking about earlier. I do believe there's kind of a line of demarcation here. On one side of the line is Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, and Barack Obama, and Joe Biden for that matter. I mean, they should be ashamed that they're part of this, but I understand it. I mean, I've said it three or four times this morning, politicians going to politic, and they're going to look for every advantage, whether it's fabricated or not. I mean, they're going to make up lies about their opponent. They're going to run negative campaigns about their opponent. But but the 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 concern the alarm I mean it, it it far surpasses concern, the alarming part of this, is the FBI bought in 
and they bought in without any corroboration, without any substantiation, without any validation at all, because the FBI intended to choose who the next president was going to be. They wanted to be a part of Team Clinton. Now, now really and truly, it's not a part of Team Clinton. I have no idea what, what the FBI thinks or not of Hillary Clinton, but they saw Trump as a political blunt instrument that could put livelihoods at risk, put, could put ways of life uh, under exposure or under you know threat of, of change, and that's always been the legacy of Trump. I mean, the media sold it, sold uh, to defeat Donald Trump. I mean, it worked one time, it didn't work uh, another time. The, the FBI sold its soul and every ounce of integrity it had left to stop Trump from getting elected. The CIA did the same thing. I mean, how do you not believe we're in a diminished America today? I mean, how, how do you look at John Brennan, former head of the CIA, Peter Strzok, one of the high-ranking officials at the FBI, Jim Comey, Boy Scout himself, you know, writes a book about leadership and loyalty and virtue and telling the truth. I mean, he makes Trump look like the Pope now. And those are the people I'm disgusted at, disgusted with. I'm not disgusted with Hillary about this. I mean, I'm disgusted with Hillary because I think she's a bad person. I mean, I think she's an evil, wicked woman who will do anything it takes to win elections and power and influence and money. I mean, that's what they're about. They're political prostitutes. One's okay at it. The other's damn good. But they're so good at it, they created a foundation and then got rich. But they're better business people than Henry Ford, Bill Gates, oh, yeah. um, Steve Jobs. I mean, you talk about entrepreneurs and visionaries. You got to put the Clintons at the top of this list because the Clinton Foundation came before they got wealthy. So they're the worst kind of humanity, but they're politicians. So I excuse some of their behavior. I don't condone it, but I excuse some of their behavior because, you know, political prostitutes going to prostitute. I mean, they're going to do whatever it takes to win elections gain power and influence so they can self-advantage themselves. That's who the Clintons are. They're the epitomes of that. I mean, to some degree, that's who the Bushes are. That's who the Cheneys are. That's who the Kennedys are or were. That's who the, I don't want to say Reagan. Reagan, I think, is a little bit exceptional of that rule. I mean, Reagan, I think politics was kind of a side gig for him. Good on television, great communicator. Why not get in politics where those sorts of skills pay great dividends? So, so I don't believe that power, influence, and political prostitution is all about Republicans. I don't have any idea what the what the political opinions of Strzok are, what the political opinions of McCabe or Comey are. But but you know, once again, you you, you lay down with dog fleas, you get uh, you lay down with dogs, you get fleas. When Comey and Strzok and McCabe decided to kind of run with the Clintons, you knew where you'd end up. You'd end up in the political prostitution ring, and that's what they are now. And and I hope and pray that the majority of Americans never look at those people with any degree of respect or, or really any degree of civility. They don't deserve it. But I mean, they lost every credible, every bit of credibility they've ever had by doing what it is they chose to do. So, so when we talk about threats to democracy, in one corner, we've got January 6th. I mean, in all honesty, we, we've got, you know, a protest gone bad where where Trump peddled fantasy. Some people bought into the fantasy, went to, um, you know, the Capitol. And here's where I believe, you know, um, a person is fairly smart. People can get real dumb and, and kind of the masses and somebody kicks the window out. Somebody else jumps in. Another, you know how that goes. I mean. Uh, you know, maybe some went there looking for trouble. I think a lot of people got in trouble who didn't go there looking 
for trouble. I know people that were on the grounds the day of January 6th. And when the windows started busting, that they made a calculation. It's time for me to get out of here. And I don't want to be any part of this. But but they told me, you know, that they never saw violence. I mean, they saw people walking in the Capitol who shouldn't have been walking in the Capitol. But the media, the FBI, the CIA, the Never Trump uh, organization have said over and over again, it's the closest we've ever come to losing our democracy in the history of our nation. Absurd. The, the absurdity of that. I mean, you don't believe it. I mean, if you're a Never Trumper and, and of average IQ, you don't believe that for a second. I get that you got to say it because you're on the team and, and you want to score points for the home team, so to speak. But how do you wake up this morning and not regret the opinions you held about January 6th if you don't hold at least a similar opinion about the Durham uh, report? Now, now, MSNBC will do their thing, and, and they'll talk Paul Manafort. You know, they, they, they'll talk some of these other issues that were on the periphery of this story. But the the report says, the Durham report clearly says that they launched an investigation into a presidential campaign without a smidgen, there's uh, Obama's word, without a smidgen of credible evidence. If you're okay with that, then you're okay with that. I mean, if you voted for the Clintons, then I would probably understand how you're okay with that. Because if you're okay with voting for either of the Clintons, you're okay with any of these shenanigans that go along. But damn, I mean, corrupting the FBI in the interim, corrupting the CIA in the meantime, I mean, getting America to a place where it can't trust its its uh, its chief law enforcement officials. I mean, we, we found out if not for Trump, we wouldn't know that Peter Strzok had the opinion of Trump voters that he has. I mean, remember James Comey kept notes and then sent those notes to the New York Times. Let, let's not forget this, guys. The, the investigating into Russia collusion based on the Steele dossier won the Washington Post and New York Times Pulitzer Prizes. Hmm. Now, but if you don't believe the game is rigged, if you don't believe the fix is in, if you don't believe you and I are on the short end of this stick when it comes to political power, influence, the New York Times and Washington Post won Pulitzer Prize reporting on something that has now been proven to be totally and unequivocally fabricated. And you still believe January 6th was a threat to democracy? You're a cultist. 843-661-0937. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. I, I judge shows. My commitment to shows vary. I mean, I, I'm always here. I feel like I'm always ready, but I'm not equally enthusiastic every day. That's something that, that would be almost impossible. I mean, Dr. Will Bolt's here, a history chair of Francis Marion University. I doubt that he is as excited to teach kids every day as he is on other days. I mean, that's just human nature. I'm just willing to say it. Most people are like, oh, no, no, not me. I'm a robot. I mean, I, I would never. No, so I would some never. days you're feeling it. You know? Sure, and, and today I'm feeling it. And today I feel like we're over the target. I mean, we've got a lot of um, – Here's the deal. It's Rip. a little vindication well, I mean, of some of the things we, we've been That's talking about. That's where I was about. headed. You use vindication. Yeah. My suspicions have been confirmed. I mean, I always felt that there was this this elaborate scheme to influence the 2016 election, and and you're right. I mean that that opinion has been validated now uh, by the by the Durham report. I don't feel any better about it. I mean, I don't feel good about America today, knowing that this many government agencies were complicit with the media. I'm not, I'm not bothered by the Clintons. I mean this sincerely. 
Somebody texted me a second ago. Are you defending the Clintons? No. I mean, the Clintons did exactly what I would expect the Clintons to do. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to win, make no apologies. That's who Bill and Hillary are. That's who Barack Obama is. That's who the Bushes were. I mean, you're in it to win it. And you do whatever it takes. Lie, steal, cheat. Well, I mean, I'd rather not. But if I must to win, I will. The, the, the agencies within the government that are not to be politically operational. I mean, that, that's my concern. What We now have an FBI that the majority of Americans have suspected of being more political than they're comfortable with. What we find out now that they were absolutely in on the game to try and stop Donald Trump from getting elected president. I want to get Dr. Bolt's historical analysis here in just a couple of seconds, but somebody's on the phone. Let's go there. This is Crib in Darlington. Good morning. You're on the air. Okay. Uh, I understand what you're saying, but I'd like to offer an alternative thought. This, to me, this was a years-long planned coup of the United States, not necessarily of one party, but of the United States, the people here. And if what happened on January 6th was a resurrection or a revoke or whatever you want to call it, this was a coup to change the whole nature of this country. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, sir. I think he meant insurrection and not resurrection. Start messing around with Jesus. We don't want to get Jesus in the middle of this um, this political talk here. Um, this morning, but I understand what he's saying. Um, a lot of the left, a lot of the never Trumpers have argued that the insurrection, there were not mine, of January 6th was the biggest threat to democracy in modern American history. Not even close. I mean, not even close. Um, I'm arguing that Trump peddled fantasy, so he's somewhat guilty of, of you know, uh, the peddling of fantasy led to some of the violence. I mean, I, you know, I'm not saying Trump's the reason the, the riot of January 6th happened. I think Trump is partially to blame. I think you can be a Trump supporter and be critical of Donald Trump. I mean, if you can't, that, that is a bit cultish as far as I'm concerned. But, Dr. Bolt, my point this morning is, I mean, I'm not defending January 6th, and, and maybe some would categorize it as a threat to democracy, and, and you've got a right to have that opinion. But, but it's obvious now that the Durham report confirms some of the suspicions many of us have had that not only was Hillary Clinton involved in trying to defeat Donald Trump, not only was Barack Obama involved in trying to defeat Donald Trump, the FBI was involved. The CIA was involved. Who wasn't? What, what you and I would call the mainstream media <laughs> were involved. From a historical analysis, what do you make of the, um, the early readings of the Durham report? Well, the first thing, it was kind of like, when, when, it, when it broke yesterday, it was like, all right, ha-ha, we told you so. It was it was sort of like good news on multiple fronts because the other good news was is like, now I know what we're going to talk about tomorrow morning. Like, <laughs> I, can, I can go to bed and not be, not be stressed out at all. So this, this is a layup But But uh, we'll, get, we'll get Jefferson and Hamilton involved in this at some point in time, rest we'll, assured. We'll come back to them. But, again, I've, I've come on here multiple times and try and say, well, when I grew up in the 80s, the CIA, the FBI, at the, sort of the end of the Cold War, these were – these were our heroes, and it's just it's another it's another black eye. And so several of the callers before I came on were talking about the the rank and file, and how they can. And, and I'm sure they're just they had to follow orders. Uh, they were taking their orders from the top, and 
several individuals have already been run out, have, have resigned under pressure. But the damage that's been done, the trust that has been lost, you know, you, you, this is Humpty Dumpty. You're not going to be able to put this back together uh, in, a, in, a, in a short time. It's going to take a long time before many Americans, and many Americans will never remain, stop being skeptical uh, of what they're, the FBI and the CIA is telling them. So the trust that was, brought, that was lost over this, it's probably gone forever, unfortunately. So what has the public historically done? The, the point I've argued for a year, and, and Rev looks at me a little bit funny when I say this, when the government loses, they, they don't lose the legal authority. I mean, the FBI They're has as much it, yeah. legal authority today as they did today before. Moral authority is another. The, the, the perception that they're fair brokers, they're fair yeah. arbiters, they're fair actors, they're, they're honest brokers in this you know, enforcement of law, the equal application of the enforcement of law. But, but is there any historical precedent of what the public does when they lose so much trust yeah. in, in the government? You can kind of go back. You go back to the 19th century when you had uh, all these corrupt presidents sort of in the, in the Gilded Age. It took a long time before that kind of cycled out. And then, of course, you fast forward. You, you mentioned it a few minutes ago, Nixon and Watergate. I mean, it took it if were it not maybe for Ronald Reagan, somebody who was maybe just above reproach. I mean, who knows how much longer it would have taken us to kind of to get back to that level that we had. And so again, it's it's sadly it's going to take a long, long time probably uh, before we kind of forget about this. And but, it'll but, take a generation. But what do you make of those who still believe that it's all Trump's fault? See, that's the wild card here, Doctor Bolton. Anyway, yeah. you, you, you may you may reference another political actor that was this polarizing, that was this divisive. Um, I think the majority of Americans. I mean, if you're if you're half witted, I mean, yeah. if you've got half a brain as I do, um, <laughs> no, you can no. conclude. I mean, you may not like what Durham said, but Durham basically said it we lost an investigation based on nothing. I mean, it was yep. made up. It was concoction. It was political research. Um, but we did the bidding of a of a political of a politician and the FBI certainly that's not what they they were created in they should be doing so what do we the people i mean if you're giving advice you you're not a political advisor or consultant yeah. you're a historian but 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 what sort of historical advice would you give to the public when we lose so much faith and trust once again the FBI has as much legal authority today right, as they did changed. yesterday i mean their personal yeah. reputation their professional reputation is damaged. I mean, without question, yeah. you talked a little bit about that. But, but I guess what I'm asking of a history professor is, how, how do we get back to a better place? I mean, if you were given the roadmap of getting us to a better uh, place, what what sort of advice would you give? Now you're gonna, it's going to have to start from the top down. Somebody's going to have to. Directors of the FD, FBI are going to throw themselves on their swords and say, "All right, we've made some mistakes." I think that's probably the best way to to just come clean. Not try and sweep it. Would under you? The rug. Come, I'm interrupting, but I got to sure. ask. Would you come as clean as saying it's obvious that we had something to do with trying to impact the outcome of an election? I mean, I understand what what I call coach speech. I mean, no, I understand yeah. <laughs> you know the head of the FBI saying it's obvious we made some mistakes. We're now in the process of correcting those wrongs. I mean that that that's kind of um. I mean that's, that's damage control one hundred and one. Exactly. I mean that sure. you know CYA. that's crisis. Man, that's yeah. exactly right. Good way to put it. But I mean, w wouldn't it be better if the director of the FBI, Christopher Ray, said to the American public, "It's obvious that we just right. didn't cross the line. I mean, we we made one of the biggest faux pas of the history sure. of our agency by trying to affect the outcome of a presidential election." Don't the public, I mean, I, I believe that the public in general are willing to forgive. 
But but when you start talking in in in, in government sure. lingo, I mean, they're like, I don't want to hear that I, terms, exactly. Right. But I don't want to hear that nonsense. But but what if somebody the FBI? I'll give you an example. I asked during the break. What if ten thousand? The FBI's got thirty-seven thousand employees. What if ten thousand rank-and-file agents said, "I quit"? I mean, I, you know, I'm asking for yeah. reassignment. If I can't be reassigned, I'm out of here. As a matter of principle, you're yeah. right. I mean, w- would that move the meter in 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 gaining the trust back of the American people? Because I've always believed the only way to fix rot within is the is is the ones who aren't rotten yeah. within the organization. I, I, I mean, who am I to call out Peter Strzok or Andy McCabe? But if a if a fellow worker says, I, I don't want any part of this. I mean, if we're not going to condemn what, what, what has been done, then, then I'm out of here. I'll go to work at transportation or education. I want to keep my government, you know, my government health insurance and my government <laughs> retirement, but I don't want to be a, I mean, do you suspect there are people in the FBI who feel that way? Oh, I'm sure they're probably very upset and say, this isn't what I, what I signed up for. But again, if you say 10,000 of them say, all right, we're just handing in our resignations. It's a big news story for a couple of days. And the FBI is going to hire 10,000 other guys within a couple of weeks. It's kind of like if you go back to Nixon and Watergate, the the Saturday Night Massacre, when Nixon fires the special prosecutor. Uh, The attorney general resigns, Elliot Richardson, William Ruckelhaus, the next guy in line resigns. It finally gets to Robert Bork, and Bork says, well, I don't want to do it, but if I don't do it, I'm going to get fired, and Nixon's going to find the night custodian. So somebody, the buck's got to stop with me. And so, again, right, if, if again, 10,000 members of the FBI decided to make this this principled statement, it's it's not going to move the meter. Again, it has to be somebody like Anthony. And Ray has the cover. I mean, this this didn't happen during Ray's watch. I mean, he could if he could throw the other guys, his predecessors, under the bus. That'll be the smart thing to do. And that's how you try to rebuild the the trust. If if I was advising him, that's probably what I would tell him to do. But if he doesn't do that. Doesn't it further confirm it the suspicions sure. that we sure. have that nobody pays a price? It's sort of like, to, to go back, it looks like there's a cover-up. Like, All right, come, come clean. There is this I, double standard. We've got this Durham report, right? It, they've got you dead to rights in many of it. Just come clean, tell us what you want to hear, and if we hear it, all right, then we can kind of move on after that. What, what do you make of Vivek Ramaswamy yesterday saying to abolish, not only defund <laughs> the FBI, to it. Now we're talking about Jeffersonian yeah, government here. There we go. Here we, we go. <laughs> so, so Vivek Ramaswamy <laughs> said yesterday, not only defund, because I think Jim Jordan says the only thing we can do as legislators uh, is, is, is cut the funding. I mean, that's all we can do. We can't, we can't demand of the president to appoint another FBI director. We can't demand of the president to change the code of conduct of the FBI, give a different mission statement. What we can do is hit them in the, uh, hit them where it hurts, the you know, book, in the yeah. pocketbook, so to speak. We are, you know, the appropriators. But but Vivek Ramaswamy said the other thing you can do is defund the point of abolishing. In other words, right. just just cancel the line. Uh, funding to the FBI zero. zero. What do you mean zero? Well, I mean, what is that? It's <laughs> zero. Right. I mean, there's no funding. I mean, that's abolishment of the FBI. Yeah. And and Vivek Ramaswamy, I don't know if he's a Jeffersonian or not, but he sounds a bit Jeffersonian when he says, "Let's defer law enforcement to the states Local. and locales." Well, what do you make of Again, that? Again, it's it's very very Jeffersonian. Again, the FBI has only been a creature the past the past hundred years, and certainly just where we are in the world right now. I mean, certainly even a, a broken FBI is we still we we still need it. And again, we we can't let a couple of bad apples spoil uh, the whole darn bunch. And they that's that's my the FBI still has a very important role. There are certain things that just are simply too big for the state and local agencies 
uh, probably to handle. This is why we need Big Brother for good or bad. So how many chances do we give the FBI to get it that's, right? That's an excellent. <laughs> I mean, I, you, you, okay, you, you I, I don't disagree with what you said. I like right. the idea. I mean, as much as I don't like central planning, as don't as much as I don't like Big Brother, I, I do believe an, an, an aggregator of law enforcement sure. at the federal level is probably it's in necessary. our best interest. I mean, I, I would agree to that. We're, we're a big. You ready? You ready for some real philosophical language here? We're a big ass, complicated nation, <laughs> and because sure. of, and because very, of that, deep, deep. well, I mean, because of that, there needs to be some um, centralization of in the yes. gathering of information and data, the disseminating of information and data. But but I want to go back to the to the Jeffersonian Vivek Ramaswamy, um, who says, you know, they've had their chances. Yeah, I mean, they, they've had multiple chances to right the wrong, to to yeah. root out the corruption. They've not done it. We've not seen a mass exodus. We've seen somewhat of an apology that appears to be drafted by a crisis management team or, or a public <laughs> yeah. relations firm yeah, from, um, from probably K Street, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> but, but you see where I'm headed. I know. Uh, what's the tipping well, point? Well, I mean, he, he, and here's my question to the good professor. What would Thomas Jefferson do today if he were president of the United States? Jefferson had huge, huge loyal majorities in Congress, uh, could do whatever he wanted for the most part. Uh, and Jefferson Doe was a, a politician. He was kind of, he, he had his finger on the pulse of the people. And if he figured out that there was a, enough support for this, well, Jefferson just got to do is snap his fingers. Uh, and the guys in Congress would easily uh, get that bill, get that bill through. Jefferson, again, we talked about before, wanted to go after the courts, but kind of realized there's just not, there's not enough support. The people aren't with me. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pull back from this so as much as people believe you ready Rev? Mm-hmm. as much as people want to believe that that jefferson never wavered from his philosophical bent he did he's a pragmatist I mean, he was very pragmatic yeah. but he, he had this deep-rooted philosophy of government and it was well thought out i mean he was unbelievably informed and educated uh, he was a political theorist in essence some of that you know I, I beat up on theorists and my political hero was by definition a political theorist <laughs> for all accounts but but People don't believe that Jefferson ever gave in to pragmatism over philosophy, but he did many, many, many times. The philosophical Jefferson would have said, Got abolish it. the FBI. Right now. I exactly. mean, we don't we yep. don't need a central law enforcement agency, but the pragmatist would have said, let's give them a chance to root mm-hmm. out some of the bad. Now, I, you and I may disagree. I think it's a high percentage of federal employees who believe it's okay to be more political than they should. I mean, I, I do believe that. I think you get a little bit insulated from the real, real world. I mean, if you live in Alexandria and you work yeah. in Washington and you smell They're them at Walmart, exactly. you know what I mean? You smell them at Walmart. It's everywhere you go. Well, I, I think that mindset permeates Washington uh, a lot more than we I'm expected to. Do we have a call? We do. Okay. Let's Jeff, go there. Jeff in Florence. Hello, Jeff. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Hey, Jeff, let's do this. I don't want to cut. I mean, we got a break. Let's take a break. I want to come back. We'll have sure. an entire segment. Me, Jeff, and the good professor can um, agree to disagree, I would expect. Don't want to miss yeah, this. Don't want to, back in just a few. Welcome back, Dr. Will Bolt, History Chair, Francis Marion University. Rev was asking I me, mean, we, we've, we've contemplated a lot during the breaks this morning. Rev's back uh, from mm-hmm. going to see his mom in Florida and, um, and you know, missing a day. And we're trying to catch up on some things outside of the show and, and inside the show. And the one thing that you've been uh, n- not, not concerned with, but the one thing not confused by, but the one thing you're asking me about, so so you don't have a problem with Obama, you know, if, if he knew or not. I mean, I suspect right. he did. Now, he'll say he did, and I get it. But but I want to say this, and you talked about ethics and morals. 
I think the ethics and morals of holding office are different than the ethics and morals of running for office. And the one thing that presidents love to do to endear themselves and their legacy to future generations is hand the baton off to the next candidate. And I think Obama, I don't know if Obama cares much for Clinton. I mean, I don't have any idea if Obama cares much for, for Biden. No, no, I, I wouldn't begin to say, yeah, I think he does, or no, I don't think they do. But the ethics and morals that you hold while you're the president are one thing, when you're governing, when you're, when you're executing policy. But when you're campaigning, I think it's fundamentally different. So, so that's my problem. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Barack Obama acting as a political person, not the president, because when he's, when, he's, when, he's, when he's dealing with Clintons and the, and, and the Biden's own campaigns, I mean, he's a candidate again. I mean, and, and, and no, I, I don't have any problem with that. The Bushes did it. The Cheneys do it. Uh, Reagan did it. I mean, I think the, the ultimate slap on the back or pat on the back for, you know, the, the legacy of this president for future generations to consider, was he able to get the, 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 the successor elected or not? Reagan knew that George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush, was not a revolutionary. Reagan knew that George H. W. Bush was a country club Republican, <laughs> but he wanted him get elected. I mean, he wanted that that Republican to win, so it would be a. I mean, Reagan would be a more legendary political figure. Well, Dr. So, Bolt? well, look at our two heroes: Thomas Jefferson gets James Madison to succeed him. Andrew Jackson gets Martin Van Buren. Ronald Reagan, George H.W. So sort of the great ones, the really, really next-level next, next level guys are able to get the public to take, uh, swallow their guy to come after them. And that's why I suspect Obama knew and, and was okay with it because he didn't perceive it as an action of the president, but rather I'm campaigning to try and beat Donald Trump. And, and, I, and I said it, and you don't like it. I don't have a problem with what the Clintons did. I mean, I don't. If if I've got a problem with what the Clintons did, then I got to have a problem with what the Bushes did and what the Cheneys have done. Else. And, and that's right. I mean, you know, it's politics. I mean, it's just all is fair in love and war. Yeah. I mean, it's just the nature of of the beast. The problem I have, per the Durham report, is how involved the FBI and CIA decided to get Obama. I, I would expect him to be involved. The Clintons doesn't surprise me a bit in the world that they did what they did, but the FBI had to say this is opposition research. We can't launch an investigation based on opposition research, but they did. And then they doubled down and tripled down and quadrupled down. And I don't know how that doesn't alarm anybody in the general public. And there's another old Andrew Jackson quote where Jackson said, one man with courage makes a majority. It may be somebody along the line early on and said, uh-uh, we ain't going down this road. Who knows how different and we wouldn't be having this conversation but nobody today. Did. Exactly. But nobody but did. That and that's person. why I asked the question about Obama. And if he knew on an, on Trump's inauguration day, did he know that some of these things, sure these, he these knew. wheels were in motion? And, <laughs> how could he not? But why wouldn't he have been? A, and, and I know you've already answered the question, but I'm thinking from a standpoint of, you know, he could have been a statesman and said, guys, this, this crosses right. the line. And it's not good for the but, country. Because Obama is a politician. And they thought they Trump win. was enough of a threat. To their I guess I, mean, I, I, of I don't know what motivated Obama. I think the motivation for Obama was to continue the Democrat agenda, right. to elect a Democrat. Uh, Obama, like him or not, dude, he's a generational political figure. I mean, he's a transformative sure. political figure. Is. I mean, I've run for office. The dude is really good at running for office. <laughs> Hillary's not real good at running for office. Bill Clinton is really good yes. at running for office. To some in the weirdest way imaginable, Donald Trump is really good 
at running for office. Now, he's not as, uh, he doesn't have the mass appeal that Obama or Reagan had, but, but, you know, Trump resonates with a large universe of Americans, and I think Trump wins today. Because if, if, if I'm giving Trump advice, all Trump needs to say is, every suspicion that I had about the 2016 election has been confirmed. But I'm tired of talking about it. I want to talk about inflation, energy, China, trade. I, I, I just think he endears himself to people who are concerned about whether he can turn the clock and look forward or not. Let's go to the phone. Jeff in Florence held on. Hey, Jeff. Hey, guys. Um, so it's uh, so the Durham report versus the Mueller report. And let's be honest. We have two reports from special prosecutors about the same election and about the same topic. Do you agree with that premise? Yeah. Okay. So um, did you have trouble reading the Durham report with all its redactions? I hadn't read the Durham report. I've read the summations. Okay. I've read the Hill.com summary. I've read, I yeah. think, Politico, the National Review. Uh, the New York Times well, and Washington Post didn't do a summary, but you would expect they wouldn't pull it surprises from, um, okay. <laughs> from, from, um, from the Russian collusion story. <laughs> The, the point is you're not going to have a problem with it because there's not a lot of redactions, right? I mean, I, I'm listening to you. I mean, I, I've read right. the summary so then, from experts who know what to make of the 312 pages, and there's it's indisputable that the FBI launched an investigation into Donald Trump's campaign based on factless, baseless, uncorroborated, unsubstantiated political opposition research. I mean, that's the okay. gist of it. Well, so so that's that the summation you read. Now, did did Merrick Garland? No, that's Durham's own words. I mean, Dur- no. Durham's got Durham's got um sure. got a cliff sure notes is. here. That, that's his own right. words. Right. So his own words spoke for his report. The Mueller report. When you read the summation or the the gist of it, who wrote that? Don't have any idea, Jeff. Bill Barr did. Okay. He didn't release the report. He put out a four-page memo saying this exonerates President Trump. And guess what it didn't do? Exonerate President Trump. So how many people did Durham indict or got convicted? That would be zero. He did indict two people. They did go to court. The Durham report? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I know the Mueller report led to indictments. The Durham report, two people, actually, charges were brought, and they were at, in front of a jury. Yeah, you're right. Juries. Both acquittals. They did, dismissed. Correct. Like just, and one person did plead guilty to falsifying a FISA report. Kevin Kleinsmith. Okay. How many people went to, to jail and were convicted from the Mueller report? Everybody that had been up close to Donald Trump. Okay. And and who was the president when all that happened? Donald Trump. Okay. And and so under Trump, Donald Trump's DOJ, almost 20 people including people like Michael Flynn, Paul Manafort, um his camp his uh foreign advisors were found they pled guilty or or were found guilty. Jeff, you won the prize. I said within 2 <laughs> minutes you would bring up Flynn and Manafort and it was a minute and 40 but, seconds. Yeah, but guess what? It's the truth. And it was Donald Trump's DOJ that did it. And you cannot, to this day, read the Mueller report. Jeff, did, did the FBI 
act upon opposition research to launch an investigation into a presidential campaign? The FBI launched an investigation. The CIA investigated and was involved because Donald Trump was doing exactly what they said he was doing. He was meeting with Russians. Michael Flynn was meeting and having a shadow conversation in government agreements with Russian ambassadors while there was a sitting president and a foreign secretary. So, so, so you're, 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 you're not, you're not concerned anymore today after the, the Durham report confirms what half of Americans have always believed that Hillary Clinton paid for Russian disinformation. The DNC kicked in a little bit. I think Perkins Coy might've been the law firm that cut some checks to help pay off um, whomever came up with the opposition research. The FBI took the opposition research, unvalidated, uncorroborated, unsubstantiated, and launched an investigation into a presidential campaign. And and once Denchenko was known to be a liar, they basically offered him a million dollars and kind of like hush him up. That doesn't concern you, Jeff? I mean, I get Manafort and, and everything. I mean, I would expect a never-Trumper to say those names, and we said less than, than two minutes. But, I mean, the Durham report is the newest bit of information we have, and it confirms what, what I've always believed, that the Clintons paid for Russian disinformation. They shopped it to the FBI. The FBI bought it hook, line, and sinker. They launched an investigation, uh, unsolicited, uncorroborated, unsubstantiated, and out of that came kind of a three. And I think the FBI, I and mean, I, I don't know this in the Durham report, I think the FBI went to the media and basically said, report on this, but not on that. Talk about these things, but not on those things. Uh, I think that's why the Washington Post and New York Times won Pulitzer Prizes for a story about Russian disinformation. The only Russian disinformation was the Clinton campaign and the Steele dossier. I mean, it was concocted. It was made up. There is no truth or validity to it. And the FBI launched an investigation into, into a presidential campaign based on that opposition research. I, I don't know how you can't accept that as real and how that's not alarming and how that's not, uh, you know, the biggest threat to democracy in my lifetime, Manafort doing what he did, Flynn doing what he did pales in relation to what the FBI and CIA chose to do. Because what you just said isn't accurate. There was parts of the dossier that were confirmed. They were meeting with Jeff. Russia. They're admitting it Donald was not. Trump, the FBI Donald is admitting Trump. Donald Trump. No, I can't let you get away with that. The the FBI is on the record admitting that this they made a big mistake with the Steele dossier. It was opposition research, and they should have said that. They know the Clinton campaign and DNC paid for the Steele dossier. They knew then. They just chose to not disclose. But once the FISA court issued the warrant based on misinformation, Russian disinformation, I might add. I mean, the FBI came clean. Can we can we acknowledge that? Just just that's great. There are parts of that. It's unfathomable that, that you're defending this, Jeff. I mean, that that's where I go surprising. to the call. I mean, it's not surprising, but it's unfathomable that you're trying to spin this in a place that does not. I mean, you're defending the FBI. You're defending the CIA. There's no way to defend those government agencies for what they've been involved in. It's indefensible. And the only way you can get to a place of defending them, if you are a member of this never Trump cult that exists. 
And I don't think you're a member of that. I really, I think you're too smart to be a never Trump cultist. If, if you'll just let me ask you, are you telling me that there was no, no facts in, in the, in the report that were correct? I, I'm telling correct. you that the Steele dossier was That's and not is known to have been opposition research paid for by Hillary Clinton's campaign and the Democrat National Committee at the request of John Podesta. That's what we know to be true. I don't have any idea what's accurate or not accurate. But if the FBI is going to launch an investigation based on opposition research from one candidate against another, then the American public deserve to know that. It's hard for me to believe that you're defending that. You, you, you haven't got, you, you cannot get past this. Some of that is true, and I will tell you this. No, everything I just mouth, said is true. It, it is I, th- true. There is not one. I mean, I, I'll speculate and spin with the best of them. There is nothing spinny or speculative about what I just said. The Steele dossier was opposition research paid for by the Clinton campaign and DNC. The FBI launched their investigation into the Trump campaign based on uncorroborated, unsubstantiated political opposition research. That is 100% accurate. That is not accurate because there are other facts that they were investigating. There was other facts that were going on. They were talking to the Russians. Donald Trump said, if the Russians want to give me information, if WikiLeaks wants to give me information, if Roger Stone wants to wants to talk to Julian Assange and, and the Russians want to bring information forward, I'll take it. And wow. that is help from a foreign government. And that's illegal. And I'm sorry you can't see that. Wow. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate the call. Now, I thought Jeff was calling to apologize today on behalf of all never well, Trumpers I, I, to say, hey, we put the country through this and really there was no man. basis. But, but he's it. not, but it's just it's a cult. I mean, I, I said it, wow. but, but, but maybe Jeff's not smart enough to, to not be a part of a cult. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't know how. I don't know where you go from there. I mean, that, that, that's that's wild to me. I mean, I imagine Jeff would say, hey, you know, uh, I knew he'd bring up Flynn and Manafort, and, and I knew he'd bring up the Mueller investigation. But, but I mean, that's bizarre to me that, that someone won't accept the Durham report as a complete and total indictment of the honesty, integrity of the FBI and CIA. Dr. Bolt? No, it's, it's, it's tough. Again, This we don't expect this in a, in a republic, in a democracy, the chief law enforcement agency, the chief intelligence agency, getting actively involved in politics. That's what you have in third world dictatorships. You're not supposed to have that in the this great democracy, this great shining beacon that everybody else wants to aspire to. We just, we've lowered ourselves uh, down to another level, unfortunately. Let's take a break. Can you hang around? A yeah, no, let's, take, sure. let's take a Thanks, break. Guys. We'll be back in just a few minutes.
843-661-0937. If you're a fan of the former president, a supporter of the former president, it's been a long time coming. <laughs> but now it's here. Yeah, that that was uh that was very intentional there. That's a um a song off one of the acoustic albums of Springsteen, uh one of the uh, the the sessions bands. He does some of these folk music uh, arrangements and that would be one. And but I, I thought how about you that. turned that around and make it ironic for Bruce to have sung that here on the well i mean it, it's a little i got an email aftermath second, of durham i got an email a second ago talking about the um the liberals defending the fbi and cia i mean the conservatives have always been the one that says you know you can't trust that cia you can't trust that fbi you can't trust the government in general look look the the only the only i mean i've not read the durham report i don't know how redacted it is i've read reputable reporters who have done a good job of giving a fair uh, uh, you know, assessment for the last 11 years. I mean, there are certain people I don't pay any attention to. There are others I pay a lot of attention to. There are a few writers out there that I strongly disagree with, but they seem to try hard to report the facts, the truth, um, you know, not, not their interpretation of the truth. There is no doubt, as we sit here this morning, that the FBI had two sets of rules, one set of rules for Hillary Clinton and another set of rules for Donald Trump. And if an American citizen is okay with the chief law enforcement agency in all of America putting its thumb on the scale, I would argue sitting its ass on the scale and, um, and really weighting it to one favor over the other, <laughs> then I don't know how we make progress. I mean, I get Manafort and Flynn, the Mueller investigation, but we're talking about I mean, the news that broke yesterday is the Durham report has, has been made public. And out of that, it's indisputable that the FBI – the CIA, and the media can do what it chooses to do. And the media is not a, a government agency that we trust to do the right thing by the American people. I mean, the, the media is liberal. Duh, really? <laughs> you mean that? Kid? Yeah, of course. I mean, the, the media did exactly what you would expect the media to do. But, but we should all be alarmed that the FBI and CIA chose to do what they did. And, and how someone can defend that is just beyond belief as far as I'm concerned, unless... You're part of the Never Trump cult, and it is a cult. Let's go to the phone. Here's Charles in Lamar. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. Interesting calls this morning. Um, some people are just overly secure in their lack of knowledge that they'd rather continue to believe what they believe than hear the truth. And I think you heard that from uh, a couple of callers uh, this morning. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before or not, Ken, but in 1971, I wrote a paper which pointed the finger at the CIA or operatives within the CIA for the assassination of President Kennedy. And um, I got a C on the paper. My professor laughed at me and said it was far-fetched. I believe the Twitter files are pretty much saying that may be the case, and RFK Jr. is uh, 
is saying that's that's the case. But sometimes we get things in our minds and we want to believe it. And I guess I wanted to believe that, and I still believe in some ways that it that it's a fact. Um, your your guy that calls regularly from Orangeburg complaining about the 150 people who died on January 6th and all the protesters were terrorists uh, carrying Confederate flags has his beliefs that he's not willing to change them. Um, and I think we heard some prime examples of that this morning. I think you did a good job with, with Jeff on the phone, although I missed some of that because I had to get out of the truck and didn't get to, to hear all of it. But to make a long story short, I just want to throw out there that regardless of what this Durham report says, regardless of what went wrong at the FBI or the CIA, regardless of what is happening with Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Jim Biden, Jim Bob, Billy Bob, and whoever Biden, not one human is going to go to jail for anything these people have done because they are not Republicans. And that's just a fact. Have a great day. Thank you, Charles. Appreciate that. You know, that's mm. the second um, part of this equation. What happens to these people? I mean, we know now the FBI released a statement again um, today. I mean, Christopher Ray says, basically, we think we've changed some, some of the policies internally. We think we've addressed uh, some of the issues. I don't buy that for a second. I mean, I think the FBI is as political today as it was prior to Trump. And why wouldn't you be when nothing ever happens? I mean, if, if you're a if you are a a bureaucrat in one of the government agencies, and a businessman is running for president, and as part of his platform, he says, "I want to go to Washington to drain the swamp, so the 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 forgotten man and woman can have some form some form of representation." See, you you really want to drill down. One of the interesting comments in all of this has been what Strzok said about the Trump voter. I mean, they're, they're lesser of a human. They don't deserve influence of government. They don't deserve to be in the room at the table when these, you know, decisions are made. I mean, that, that's, I mean, that, you, you, we're getting kind of psycho babbling I mean, he here was the guy that said smell second. them at Walmart, Yeah, right? you could smell them at Walmart. I mean, he meant that, guys. And, and you know, if you want to really dig down into this, I mean, Trump is a manifestation of, you know, a group of people who believe the, the world has passed them by and the government basically sold them to the highest bidder. What, what is our immigration policy? Uh, open border. But I mean, doesn't that hurt, hurt the working class? Who gives a rat's rear end? You know, the working class will be okay. I mean, they'll figure it out. They'll dig, you know, another ditch. They, they, they'll, um, they'll change another tire. They, they'll replace another muffler. They'll put another roof on. They'll be okay. I mean, they're, they're not as important as we are. And, and, and what, what I find to be so interesting and bizarre in all of this is the liberals are defending that. I mean, the liberals have historically championed themselves as, you know, for the little man, for the forgotten man. And some way, somehow, they got coerced into defending the FBI, defending the CIA, defending a guy who said you can smell him at Walmart. I mean, if you're defending the FBI this morning, you're defending Peter Strzok. And Peter Strzok told you out of his own mouth, I don't care about little people. They mean nothing to me. Where's my pension? Where's my salary? Where's my place of relevancy? Where's my significance within the federal government? And the liberals are defending that because there's an affliction 
that I don't think there's aware of as we are called Trump derangement syndrome. I mean, Trump is a, is a, he, he's a, he's a bull in a China shop. He's everything they hate. He's toxic masculinity. Uh, he, he's money. He's power. He's, he's wide. He's male. He's narcissistic. He's patriotic. I mean, he embodies everything the left hates. I mean, the left hates patriotism. Let's be honest. I mean, the left would turn America to Europe if they could tomorrow or today by dark, if given the opportunity. That's why they love Europe. I mean, how many times have you ever left this politician say, well, you know, in Europe they do X, or in Europe they do Y, or in Europe they do they do Z. In Europe, everybody finishes the race at about the same time. I mean, that's co- collectivism, redistributionism. It reeks into socialism and communism. But that's who the left is today. But, but Charles is exactly right. The frustration, I, we've got them. I mean, there's no doubt about it. They're guilty as charged. But the Clinton campaign... The FBI, the CIA, Barack Obama, the Obama administration, they are exactly who we thought they were. But Charles's comments, but nothing happens. I mean, what is the advantage of being called to the carpet or disadvantage of being called to the carpet? I mean, I got caught doing something I shouldn't have done. You know what it cost me? A political career. I mean, it's probably good for you <laughs> that I didn't rise to a, to a higher level of government. But, but you see where I'm headed. I'm a Republican. I mean, I was kind of a populist. I didn't go along and get along. That's why it's so near and dear to my heart. That's why it's so important to me. Uh, what I did was wrong. But, but did I do what Peter Strzok did? Did I do what Andy McCabe did? Did I do what Jim Comey did? And CNN has the gall to hire McCabe as a, as a, uh, you know, a law enforcement expert or analyst. He's a thug. He's a thug in a polo shirt. Strzok is a thug with a Hickey Freeman suit. Obama is a thug with an unbelievable ability to speak. Trump is white. He's brash. He's masculine. He's rich. He he likes uh, MMA. He's on the football team. I mean, he reeks of everything they despise. And, I mean, Trump's ideology can't can't offend anybody. You don't know where he stands ideologically, right? I mean, what about Trump's ideology does anybody find offensive? It's all over the place. He's malleable. He's a business guy. I mean, I'll be this today. I'll be that tomorrow in the the CNN town hall. What did he say? I mean, Jeff acts like Trump's hiding something. I mean, Trump basically said, if the Russians want to help, let them help. I mean, he said that publicly. At the CNN town hall, Trump said, when asked about the, the debt ceiling, remember the answer he gave? I mean, he said, um, if I were McCarthy, I wouldn't give in. And they said, well, President Trump, when you were president, you said something different than that. He said, that's because I was president. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, Almost said, too he, honest. He, it's, it's, it's un- he's an honest liar. <laughs> I mean, Dave Chappelle is right. He's an honest liar. But, but, but Trump was a threat to the machine that struck had so ingratiated himself to and Comey had so advantaged himself to this really goes back to this uh, we're getting real psycho babbly here it really goes back to this theory I have and this this um it's almost an obsession I have I want to see everybody in the economy get exactly what they deserve I don't know what that means for me I don't have any idea I mean, I do some development. I got some business interests. I host a radio show. We do a podcast. I have no idea what if the economy were constructed in exactly the right way. I don't know what I get. 
I don't know what Josh gets. I don't know what Rev gets. I don't have any idea what any of us get. But I know damn well Struck's getting too much. And I know damn well Comey's getting too much. And I know damn well the 37,000 people that work at the FBI, by and large, are getting too much. I mean, I know that to be true. How many private sector workers retire at 63? I mean, how many people are, we're talking about Horry County. How many people are moving to Horry County having retired from where? I mean, the government. That, that's, that's my dream. I mean, if somebody said, hey, man, uh, you, you get one political wish. What, what is that wish? To, to build an economy so the roofer gets exactly what the roofer deserves. The political consultant gets exactly what the political consultant deserves. And it's about power and influence. And the power and influence is not just over the body politic. The body politic controls the economy. I mean, where does economic policy come from? Why would four people leave BlackRock and go to work at the White House? I mean, ask yourself that. Why, why would management-level positions at BlackRock leave the corner office to go work at the White House? You know why. You know exactly why that is. So when you look at the macro of all macros, that's who Trump intimidates. That's who Trump is a is a threat to. And they can't let it happen. There's too much at stake. Peter Strzok and, and Jim Comey and Andy McCabe have built a livelihood on extracting more from the economy than they deserve in the name of government influence and government authority. And that's why I'm such a Trumpster. I mean, with, with Trump's ideology, <laughs> I'm with him a day or two, and I'm not for another day or two. But as long as the establishment believes that he is a legitimate threat, I am a Trump supporter. I mean, we, we'll get to another candidate at some point in time. I don't know when that is. It may be sooner than later. DeSantis is about to announce. I mean, he may catch fire. I mean, he, he may replicate some of the energy about Trump and and this, this belief that I have that the economy's GDP production, it's, I mean, it's, it's big. It's $25 trillion. How much of that $25 trillion does Dave Baker honestly deserve? How many of that $25 trillion does the truck driver honestly deserve? I don't have an answer to that. But I do know that those who have enriched themselves at the trough of government are getting more than they deserve. And that's why I want to see disruption. That's why I want to see chaos. And that's why it's a good day. When every suspicion I've had about the 2016 and 2020 election are begin to be revealed to we, the people. 843-661-0937. I want to get off my high horse for just a second, Josh, and make sure um, we take care of some um, transactional duties that we're responsible for. Um, I mean, government screwed health care up, so this is kind of um, in, in, the, in the vein of government influence and government intrusion. Um, Health insurance is complicated. You know that. I know that. Everybody's situation is different. Uh, There are multiple options to choose from. Some are government organized. Some are not. If you're under the age of 65, if you're somewhat healthy, you owe it to yourself to call Christian Levis at 839-888-3970. Let me give that number again. 839-888-3970. 839-888-3970 or go to realchoicehealthcare.com. Once again, if you're under 65, reasonably healthy, you don't need all the bells and whistles like a 60-year-old dude need paternity coverage. Um, realchoicehealthcare.com or 839-888-3970. 
70. Quality paint plans chosen by you, managed by you, not some government agency or bureaucrat. Your health, your choice, real choice, healthcare.com. Back in a few. Mm, Stretch a little bit. Felt good. What's that? Felt really good. <laughs> had, a, had a place in my back that wasn't exactly right, and I stretched and I heard it and felt oh, real right good. We were coming yeah, back on feels the real good now. I'm good to go. Man, you had your fast twitch. Yeah, I had my fast good. twitch because somebody jacked all to Celsius. Um, <laughs> I got a I got a text Friday night from a restaurant locally with a good buddy of ours, Les Ward from Pepsi of Florence. And the CEO of Celsius, they were in for the race. You know, Celsius is a big sponsor. Pepsi is a big uh, part of NASCAR. So um, Les is is our guy at Pepsi. I mean, he's, he's the guy that, you know, we um, has been so supportive of us here at Wake Up Carolina. We try to be mutually supportive of Pepsi of Florence. But he sent me a picture of uh, himself and the CEO of Celsius. And I sent back a picture of me drinking a Celsius. <laughs> well. You know, tr- trying to get a little bit um caffeined up uh down to the beach eight four three six six one yeah that crank out of my back feels real good now let's go to the phone someone's there robin in florence hello robin hey ken how you doing hey robin how are you hey ken i want to respond to a couple of your callers and i I think they got a severe case of ptsd and you know what that is don't you i do uh but my version of it is president trump stress disorder (laughs) i like it i like it and uh you know they probably could get some social security for that if they wanted to for a disability but uh, that's what I want to call and say. And I think I'll name them. It's Jeff and Williams, and I think they've got a severe case of that PTSD. So it's never ended. Thank you. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. To the phones we go. David in the PD. Hello, David. Hey, good morning, Ken. Hey, I would call it the new left. And I was thinking about, you were talking about the Clintons. People don't know that Bill, he was born in Hope, but he grew up in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And that is the home to the Gangster Museum of America. I don't think people knew that. So when he met a girl from Chicago, that's why he married her. And you're talking about the media component of this. I think about old Carville. He's on MSNBC. I think, uh, what's this guy named? Brendan, he's on there. And Carville's got this famous saying, Pennsylvania is uh, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh with Alabama in the middle. And another term for it is Pennsylvania or something. But that's that brings to light. Well, we not you know they knew about Trump, and to get to the worst of this, I call it the Mickey Mouse media. I'm watching Stephanopoulos today, ABC Disney, uh, and this guy cat. They, that was about their fourth story, is about this Durham report, and they basically said did not find out much. Uh, serious mistakes. Investigation was justified, but guess what? It cost six point five million dollars. Resulted two trials acquitted, and Russia did interfere. And then we go to CNN, and I think about uh, what's her name, Karen Finney, Paul Begala. This is what I don't like the, at, at all. Is I call it the double dipper, and that would be just McCabe and Strzok and uh, Comey. These guys are double dippers. I don't know if they got their full pension or not, but I'm just saying that they book deals this that. And uh, I think Comey, a lot of these guys, like uh, what's his name, Rosenstein, he's working for some kind of law firm. Comey can slip into big education, be a professor. But here's what you need to do. Next time Dave Baker gets caught there at the bridge there in Santee, can you need to get out there and ask those people that are caught in traffic, 
what the percentage you just ask them do you work did you work for the government or did you work in the private sector and are you on some sort of retirement uh or you know because this is exactly what these guys are doing if you meet people from up north they think you're right they seems like they all work for the government and they're double dippers in some form or fashion they've become a contractor or just like McCabe and Strzok. Now they're making extra money, but they got that pension. And where do they all go? They go to Florida. So once you ask them that question, Ken, tell them, y'all keep going to Florida. Keep going to Florida. Just don't go to Pauly's Island. I'll, I'll leave you at that. There you go. Stay stay away from my domain. Let me be <laughs> master of my of my domain. Um, can we do this? I mean, can we do it in real time? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think Josh is asking oh, for you, Rev. Yeah, can, can we? Um, I want to get to Fox News. Lindsey Graham. I think it's relevant because Lindsey is our U.S. senator, and he's on Fox talking about the um, the Durham report and Russian investigation. You tell me when you guys are ready. I'm sorry to catch you off guard like that, but I think it would be very timely if our listeners could hear from Senator Graham about his take on um, the Durham report, and, you know, basically indicting the FBI for Russia. Josh, are we ready? Okay, let's, let's go to Fox News. Warn against an American citizen to turn his life upside down and to create a cloud over the Trump presidency and try to deny him the presidency. Other than that, this is no big deal. Three things should happen. Garland should pick up the phone and call all all those that were harmed by this and say, even though it didn't happen on my watch, I apologize to you. This is not the Department of Justice that I want you to to believe in. Uh, I would like the FBI Director Ray to get on the phone and apologize to the people that had their lives ruined by the FBI. And I think the Pulitzer Prize given to the Washington Post and New York Times should be taken back because the entire episode was politically motivated crap. That's not something you should get a Pulitzer Prize for. Well, I'm not so sure you could hold, hold your breath for that, but we'll see. James Carville, yeah. MSNBC, yesterday. Watch. Durham is a is a kind of pathetic character. I, I think federal prosecutors have like a 97% conviction rate. Yeah. He was 0 for 2. He got a plea for a parking ticket. That's it. Four years. I don't know how many millions of dollars. I, I, I actually think he did the country a service to, just to show you how fraudulent and shallow these people are. Oh. MSNBC's got it on the screen today. Durham report. They call it a dud, <clears throat> Senator. Well, the FBI director said, based on the Horowitz report and the information in the Durham report, we made fundamental changes to how we operate. That's inconsistent with it being a dud. Uh, Comey lied to the Judiciary Committee in 2020. I was chairman uh, in 2020, and we had an oversight hearing, and I asked Comey, uh, was there any effort to verify the dossier that you were aware of? And he said, no, not that I was aware of. In the Durham report, it indicates he was briefed about serious concerns regarding the dossier and continued to use it to get a warrant five times after he was told it was uh, flawed. So he lied, and it puts pressure on the system now to deal with the IRS whistleblower. Everybody tells us, uh, we're not going to do this again, we fixed the system. Well, if you believe the allegations around the IRS whistleblower, they still have the thumb on their scale when it comes to the Hunter Biden investigation. Mm-hmm. It makes it more imperative that Jim Jordan and others continue to investigate. Has anything really changed? As to my good friend, Senator Durbin, if this doesn't bother you, your hate for Trump has just blinded you. Well, wow. um, Sir, Politico's takeaways are Durham on defense, Durham gone <laughs> wild, 
who played ball with Durham and who didn't. A moment ago, Governor Nikki Haley said heads should roll. I need a quick answer. Who thinks that's going to happen? Uh, nobody. Nobody's going to. Wouldn't it be nice for the agency to apologize to those that their lives are ruined? Wouldn't it be nice to Garland pick up the phone and say, I'm sorry this happened to you? Wouldn't it be nice to the press to admit we got it wrong? None of that's going to happen. But here's what's going to happen. People are going to get mad on our side. Average everyday Americans have. This is a generational damage to the FBI. It's going to be hard to convince anybody who's a conservative or middle-of-the-road person the FBI's on the up and up, particularly if they still got their thumb on the scale regarding the Hunter Biden investigation. If you don't see the damage done to the system, they just want to get Trump, and they don't give a damn how you do it. That's what's so sad to me. They're marginalizing this report that's devastating and damning to the rule of law in America. They write it off because they want the outcome of destroying Trump. It's a very dangerous and sad day in America when people will not take this seriously. Lindsey Graham, thank you for your time. And it's a big cultish. I mean, it really has all the earmarkings of a cult. You're unwilling to accept the, the realities. You're, you're unwilling... I was By thinking the way, about that was live live coverage of Fox News Channel. They were interviewing Lindsey Graham with uh, with Hemmer, uh, Bill Hemmer, Bill Hemmer. You're, uh, who's a I think a worthy journalist trying to get it right there, and he paid James Carville, and you would expect. I mean, Carville's Carville's made a lot of money off the Clintons. I mean, he ain't bailing on the Clintons now. I mean, I can assure you of that. <laughs> I mean, Carville's loyalty to the Clintons has a price tag, and he's been he's been handsomely rewarded um, for his loyalty to the Clintons. And, I mean, James Carville is just not – there's a little bit of um, respect you give to Carville for being willing to defend at all costs. But I want to go back to the reality. I think it's back to Jeff's and, you know, there have been times on this show that I've had difficulty defending. And, and at times there's been on this show that I've uh, indicted Trump to some degree. You know what I mean? I've said, hey, that's, that's wrong. I mean, you can't, you can't say that. You can't do that. Um, the majority of you out there listening don't like it when I do that. I mean, you push back hard when I have um, negative things to say about the former president. But, but I was thinking about the one thing in my life that I refused to believe longer than I should. And that would have been my son being an addict. I mean, I was thinking about, you know, what, what, what is the one thing in my life? I mean, there are a lot of things I'm reluctant to accept. I mean, there, there are a lot of things I wish weren't true. But, but you kind of come to grips with it. I mean, you look in the mirror and say, okay, um, I've got this issue, this problem, this reality, and i got to deal with it. But, but I tried to prolong the accepting of, you know, the, the, the person you love more than anybody in this world has a problem. And a lot of it may have been you don't know how to deal with it, you don't want to deal with it, you don't know where to turn, you're scared, you're embarrassed, you're intimidated. I mean, there are a lot of human emotions that go into that complex dynamic. But, but eventually you have to accept this is true. This is real. The only way I can make it better is to accept that there's a problem here. And I think the majority of Americans have to come to grips with, with a truth about our American government. It's corrupt. It's not to be trusted. I mean, the FBI, politicians are going to politic, guys. I mean, that's been a redundant theme of this show. I mean, I expect the Republican politician to spin things a certain way. I expect the Democrat to spin things another way. I expect Lindsey Graham to say exactly what he just said. I expect Dick Durbin to say exactly what Durbin just said. It's called political expediency. I mean, it's, 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 it's in the politician's best interest to minimize damage and maximize favor. Um, but the CIA and the FBI 
I mean, can't can Americans agree that we expect them to be nonpartisan? I mean, we expect them to call balls and strikes legitimately. Well, I mean, you didn't really think that. I mean, you, I, I, I wanted to believe. Well, it. I mean, you wanted to believe that, but once you began becoming suspicious, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but once some of the information began to leak about you know Russia collusion and the Steele dossier and Danchenko and I mean. We, we began to know this cast of characters, and there was a moment in time. I mean, I, I've always had this bent gene about me, and you know that. I mean, I've always been highly suspicious of anything the government says or does. I mean, I don't know what percentage of Americans have kind of the genetic bias I have. I mean, I'm hardwired to question any authority and then and, and my being subservient to that, to that authority. I mean, that, that's just my nature. I mean, it's caused me a lot of problems. In my life, cost me a lot of money, a lot of pain, a lot of anguish, you know. But I just don't accept authority because the masses say, "Well, that's just the way the world works." I mean, you got to bow down to that. You got to kiss that ring. You got to, you got to do this. You got to do that. No, I don't have to do a damn thing, um, and I don't normally. But, but there've been times in my life that the the risk of not bowing to authority, the reward was not worth the risk. I probably should have given in. I probably should have sold out, so to speak. But it's in my nature to not. And I think, you know, they're what, 10% of Americans who have that genetic makeup? But, but the other 50 or 60 or 70%, I mean, you got 10% that will believe anything the government says because the government says it. And then you've got another 10% that believe because it kind of aligns with their philosophy. Trump bad, you know, orange man bad. They, they fundamentally believe that. So any energy the government creates to nurture that belief, you, you know, I'm, I'm more likely to believe them because they share a similar uh, sentiment. They share a, a similar opinion to mine. Um, but then you've got about 70 floating around saying, wow. I mean, did you read the Durham report? No, I, I don't read things like that. But did you see, uh, you know, I watched something and I heard something and I read something about, you know, the FBI and CIA being actively and intimately involved in who won the 2016 election. I mean, that, that's kind of a, that, that's a come to Jesus moment so to speak. I mean, that, that's a moment where we hope the Seinfeld watching crowd realize that this is a, I mean, this is an actual threat to democracy. I mean, we, we've said that every year forever. I mean, this is the most important election in my lifetime. Uh, that's the most important, oh, excuse me, that's, that's the most, um, that's the biggest threat to the history of democracy since the, the I mean, we're, we're so accustomed. We're almost hardened by those nonsensical statements. But when you woke up this morning, I mean, there's corroborated proof. There's an investigation that took three years to come to fruition. And out of that investigation, there's a lot of information, a lot of analysis, a lot of, um, uh, a lot of data gathered. And out of that comes proof, not an opinion, proof that the FBI and CIA decided to intervene in a presidential election. They tried to help someone get elected over another. That, my friends, is bigger than Watergate. Much, much bigger than Watergate. Take a break. Back in a few. I was thinking about how much easier my job's gotten. I said it's, uh, it's, it's my intent to convince you to be highly skeptical of the motivations of your federal government. <laughs> uh, speaks for itself, you know. <laughs> the government's helping you with that a little bit. The government's helping right me a lot. No question about it. Let's go to the phone. Bob in Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning, Bob. 
Yes, I heard your uh, guest say something about a few bad uh, eggs in the FBI. How many employees are in the FBI? Uh, 37,000. Okay, how many whistleblowers do you have? Uh, what is that, is six or eight or ten? Okay, now you know how many bad apples are in the FBI. <laughs> About 36,990, huh? That's right. Okay, what do you think they're going to do with this 87,000 new IRS agents carrying pistols? What do you think they're going to do with those? That's pretty interesting. I did read where there are more IRS agents with guns now than members of the U.S. military. Well, I think wow. it's just another part of their army. It, it, it got, may, I want to appreciate the call. It may have been uh, within a certain division of the, uh, I don't want to say the armed forces. I mean, that, 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 that's not true there, but there's a certain, I mean, there's a, there's a number there that, um, I mean, obviously it's some spinny sort of number, but, but it really emphasizes, you know, the, the IRS has a uh, uh, high number of people with guns. I mean, that's kind of bizarre to me. You know, I've got an interesting take, and we may try to go down this road tomorrow. Um, do we need these federal agencies? I mean, they turn, they seem to turn into police states. I mean, they really and truly do. Uh, the IRS has more agents with guns now than, than a certain, you know, division of our military. Uh, the, the FBI is involved in, you know, who wins the election in 2016. Uh, the CIA has 51 signees of a letter corroborating something that had never been corroborated. Uh, I mean, do we need these government agencies any longer? Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Jim and Florence. Good morning, Jim. Hey, good morning. Guys. So, Ken, is the weaponization of federal law enforcement against the anti-establishment going to stop or, or even throttle itself back any? No. All right. So if it's not going to, why are state-level Republicans not weaponizing state-level law enforcement against the establishment. I mean, ethics and integrity doesn't win wars. I mean, just ask Sherman. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Well, I mean, okay, go there. If we believe fundamentally that this is a, a battle for the heart and soul of America, that, that a group of people have commandeered control of our government and their interest is not subservient to the American people. I mean, it's a little bit what Tucker said. Didn't Tucker kind of say, I, I'm not I'm not against a ruling class. I mean, we're, we're, people are hierarchical. I mean, we, we really are. Animals are. We are. I mean, remember Tucker kind of delved into that. Mm -hmm. But but the ruling class has to be ethical and moral and trustworthy. And when they aren't, we should replace them. Well, how do we replace them? I mean, we, we can elect a congressman. We can elect a senator. We can elect a mayor, a county council member. We, we can't elect the head of the FBI the head of the, the CIA, uh, the head of the Department of Transportation, the Immigration Authority. We can't do that. So what do we do? I think that is the, the most interesting. We have established now, um, uh, half the country have established that they have very little faith in credit or faith in, and, and trustworthiness in our government. I mean, they just don't. W what do we do about that? How do we act upon that? W what is our reaction supposed to be? Uh, we'd like to believe we're ethical. We'd like to believe we're moral. But if we are in a tussle, how do you win? Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.